detective. Throw me. Scream! Scream for your lives! You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Oh, I know this creature of yours. When the dragon gets this old, it knows nothing but pain. Scientists are saying the future is going to be far more futuristic than they originally predicted. Welcome to Healthcare Board, gentlemen. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. So, celestial event. No words. You really shook the pillars of heaven, didn't you? What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Phantom Galaxy podcast, the crossroads where science fiction, fantasy, and horror meet. I'm your host, Nathan Bartleball. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Bill Van Vagel. Bill, how are you doing tonight? I am just getting over the laughter of the pre-show chatter amongst the guests. So this is going to be a good time. I guarantee you, listeners, you're going to have a fun time listening to this. Regardless of what films we pick, the guests are going to be amusing, and we're going to have ourselves one heck of a ride. Yeah, and what Bill's referring to is this is our top 10 movies episode, or maybe I should just say best movies of the year episode, since I have clearly cheated in the terms of top 10, uh, and I've allowed ties. But we have uh, we just recently recorded our best horror movies of 2022. That episode is already up. You can go check that out. We had uh, uh, Victor Rodriguez, Greg Bench, and we also had Greg Bazelli on. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you can listen to that episode, but this episode tonight is actually excluding horror movies, which is kind of interesting because most of the guests we have here are all from horror podcasts. <laughs> but uh, the way I look at it is it gives everybody a chance to kind of uh, stretch their legs and spread their wings and do something a little different than they normally do. Uh, and again, tonight is a general top 10. In the past, we've done just top 10 genre, and it was mostly science fiction, fantasy, anything that was not horror. But this uh, this year... We've kind of, and oh, the, the previous years we've been relaxing that to the point it's like, you know what, this is the top 10, just minus horror. So, uh, without further ado, though, let's go ahead and bring in our guests. And uh, we have from the land of the creeps, Bill's uh, co hosts over there, we have Greg and Pearl Morgan. Greg and Pearl, how are you guys doing tonight? Excellent. Awesome. Party time. <laughs> Woohoo! Out of sight! Hey, this is the one time I get to lose all my street cred. Like, this is when I go non horror. It's like, only watch horror! Okay, now I'm going to show that I, I have legs. I spread my wings and fly. Sorry, four hour French dramas, here they come. Here they come, baby. <laughs> I will put a disclaimer ahead of time. Sorry, Phantom Galaxy. I, I am not responsible for him. Woman! <laughs> <laughs> God. Yeah, I know in a million years you would never say that for real, Greg. No. <laughs> <laughs> she is exactly right. <laughs> so, okay, so we're we're so happy to have you guys here tonight. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you. And let's uh and we're bringing back from the last episode of uh, Victor Rodriguez. Victor, how are you doing tonight? Oh, good. Yeah, thanks for having me back, Nathan. Always a pleasure. This is your, th I think this is the third time for this particular episode. And you also have come back for the uh, three times for the the best horror movies as well, I believe. 
Um, but yeah, you're, uh, it was a lot of fun. I remember last year we had, uh, you came on and then we had also Trey Whetstone, who's also with us tonight. So Trey, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back after last year. I wasn't sure. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Cause you've only been on like 20 Phantom Galaxy episodes since that, which I think was your first episode was last uh, first time you're ever on the podcast. So no, it's going to be a fun time. Uh, I want to, very quickly set this up because we have a lot of movies and my goal is under four hours, but you know, <laughs> that's my goal. I'm getting up at 5 a.m. So it better damn well be more than let's if go. there was no ties, it would be that. Just... Yeah. I, I can make these ties quick. Don't worry about it. Yeah, right. Don't you worry about no ties. Just no, no. Uh, so we're going to skip any heavy plot synopsis. Uh, there will be cases where we're talking about movies that, that might have flown under the radar. So we'll, we'll, we'll put a little bit in, but uh, for the most part, we can keep this straightforward. We're going to move through the, uh, um, all the guests in order, and we'll go ahead and get started in a moment. Uh, I don't have too much I want to say about the year in general, except that personally, I've heard, I've listened to some podcasts, read some articles uh, that are all sort of came out at the end of the year, where everyone posting their top tens, and I've heard uh, varied things. I've heard some people kind of lamenting, well, the year wasn't this good, or I thought, thought it was sort of a down year. Personally, I think for film, I thought this was a great year. Uh, it was definitely a little topsy turvy as we're still coming out of COVID in terms of what was in the theaters and not in the theaters. But a combination of what was on streaming, what was available at the theater, and the the actual movies I was exposed to through the year, this was one of the banner years for me in, in quite a long time. I have a very clear, for me, number one movie, but I'd say my top ten are almost the, the following like movies after number one are almost all tied for second place in a sense. They were all that good, and I could give you a list of 25 movies that I thought were excellent and, and maybe 50 that were very good. So to me, it was a great year. I don't know. Uh, I'll let everyone kind of go around the horn. If you have any general thoughts and then we can start the list. Uh, how did you guys feel about the year uh, in general overall? Excellent. I thought it was a great year personally. I mean, I think for horror or non-horror, I agree, Nathan, this was a really strong, not only just independent, but even big Hollywood came out. So, I mean, it was stellar, man. This is a really solid 2022. I'm just hoping 2023 holds up because it's going to be tough. Yeah, I felt that uh, it was a year that I'd never noticed this before, but for like three or four actors, it was a great year for them. Like they were in four or five really hit movies, like top movies. And I don't know how they do it like time-wise, but um, it was incredible. But yeah, I agree with you. And Greg, I thought it was one of the strongest, um, critically speaking, uh, years. But I think that uh, with a couple of notable exceptions, I'm sure we'll go into, there there were a lot of uh, high-budget movies that underperformed at the box office. That makes me a little concerned for the future of those kind of movies, but um, I'm enjoying them now. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's an interesting thing because there were some movies that that had real legs that I never would have guessed would have had legs. I mean, there's a, a movie I'm not going to talk about just yet where I was thinking, you know, this is a movie that in a, in in half a month I'll have on 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 4K because it'll be out after that. And then there are other films that I thought were sure things and they just simply weren't. And I think I was, gonna, I was just going to say I think there were some films that I thought would be something and not that they were bad films, but they were lesser than what I thought. And then you always seem to find those gems 
or those ones that you know you just put on put on because you see the title and you're like this ended up being a pretty darn good movie so i think that's kind of the way the year was for me it was the surprise ones for me were the were the good ones yeah i think um it started out maybe a little less or so but as i was filling out my list these last i don't know these last few weeks when i'm just like marathoning through movies i think i ended up with a pretty solid and deep list so i think it's a pretty good year overall I'll echo what you guys are saying. Yeah, so what we'll do, let's go ahead and get round, right down to it. And we will start, we'll do our top 10, then we will do share any honorable mentions we have at the very end. And I'm going to go ahead and I'll start with you, Greg. What was your number 10 movie of 2022? Number 10 was a David Leach. I guess that's how you say it, L-E-I-T-C-H, and actually blew me away. And that was uh, Bullet Train with... None other than Brad Pitt. That movie was fun. Lots of good kills in it, or I would say kills. Lots of good action in it. I, I enjoyed the crap out of it. Didn't think I would because I am not a Brad Pitt fan, but yeah. Bullet train. Whoop, whoop. The only thing I would have done was take old, old Bad Bunny and let him disappear off face of earth because I don't like that dude. But other than that, hey, I like the movie. Yeah, I, ironic you said that, Greg. I was sitting there last night and I had finished my list. I behind the veil, I had finished my list oh five, six days ago. And I was literally just sitting on the couch, flipping through Prime and said, Oh, I haven't seen Bullet Train yet. And I threw it on. And you know what? Not bad. Uh it was a little underwhelming for me until the last forty five minutes. And then it really ramped up. Because mm-hmm. I found that it was you know, it was laying down the seeds and you know, there were the, the one downfall I thought was there's so many characters, it took so long to get to it. But when it got to it, it hit. <laughs> so that 45 minutes, there were things flying everywhere and things landing in people and things people were drinking and getting stabbed. And, yeah. it, you know, it was it was one of those ones where I, I like because I like small space and closed horror or or action or whatever it is. Yeah, and trains th- especially. Trains yeah. are usually tough to, to do any kind of filming on. So anytime I see a movie that's on that type of a atmosphere, I love it. Yeah, it was like the best movie of 1996 or something, right? A very 90s vibe to it in a good way. And um, I'm really I'm really coming around to Brian Tyree Henry. It took me a little bit because they kind of just wedged him into that Godzilla versus Kong movie. But I thought he was a lot of fun in this movie in particular in Bullet Train. So, Greg, what did you tie it with? Zero. I have zero ties. I'm not going to the dark side. I'm not with the Sith Lord. I'm on I'm on the, the Jedi side, buddy. I'm going to the good side. Good man. I'm the good side for once. You're, you're assuming it's a good him down. That sounds like something Palpatine would say. Yeah, you're on the good side, Anakin. Come on over. Yeah, come on Jedi. over. Follow, follow me. <laughs> Grab my hand. <laughs> Some people would say these abilities are unnatural. But anyway. Uh, Pearl, the first your... time I'm called unnatural. Yeah, that's right. true. Pearl, number 10 for you. Um, my number 10 is Mr. Hannigan's phone. I Ooh, picked that nice. because it was solid acting in it and a little bit of slow burn, but it has Donald Sutherland in it. Oh, yeah. And how can you go wrong with him? He's such a great actor. I mean, it was it was a fun, thoughtful, emotional, but it, it kind of gave you an insight also type of movie where it kind of tells you to appreciate and pick up a book and put the phone down. So if you want to see it, catch it. It's on Netflix. Nice. Yeah, it's a good yeah I, I actually, this is one of the, the trends I found for this year was there was a lot of films on that borderline of horror, non-horror. 
you know, it could have flipped either way. I had this actually on the horror side, but I really, really enjoyed this film. I, I had this, but not you. Piggy on the horror list. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I'm with you. I think Donald Sutherland might very well be among my top two or three all-time favorite actors. I love the man. He's just got a way of delivering a line, a presence, a look. And, you know, seeing him sitting in that chair trying to figure out how to download an app is just hilarious. <laughs> it's nice, too, when you get a gentle Donald Sutherland performance, which this, for the most part, was, which was was nice. But my daughter had the weirdest, like, identification for him. She's like, that's the guy from, and I, I don't know what, I thought she was going to say Hunger Games. She was, that's the guy from the, the Kate Bush cloud bursting video. I'm like, <laughs> I've made my kids too obscure in their tastes. That's the guy from Clute. Yeah, is it right? Exactly. <laughs> I believe he was from Don't Look Now. Don't you remember the love scene in that, Dad? No. Um, anyway. Okay. Victor, what's your number 10 movie? Well, my number 10, I've got to thank Bill for this. Dio, Dreamers Never Die. Mm, nice. Docu-pick. And um, it is pretty much for metal fans, but there is a good universal lesson about failing and succeeding in that. Things I didn't know that Dio had to deal with in his rise to fame. And, uh, you know, I grew up listening to his music. I still love it. And I found it incredibly entertaining to watch this movie. So uh, highly recommended. Is that Where's that streaming at, Victor? Or is it a rental? It's a Showtime in the U.S., Okay. It's actually, uh, there's a perfect version that is on YouTube. Okay. Of it. And and I don't think it's like something that somebody's scamming on there. I think Dio knows it's up there and they're just happy to have it up there. Yeah, this was a really good one. And I, I, I like Victor, was turned on to this one by Bill. And it is a, this was a strong year for, for actual uh, documentaries, musical documentaries. And uh, this was one of the best ones. So, mm-hmm. uh, Trey, how about your number 10. Yeah, I'll do the honors of bringing in the first tie. And uh, I won't talk a lot about the first one um, because it is Bullet Train, as Greg had mentioned. Uh, I think that movie is a lot of fun, but I kind of put two fun action movies together. So it's Bullet Train, um, which I think was an excellent kind of surprise this year. I didn't I actually stopped watching it and started had to start over, um, but I really got into it the second time. And the one it's tied with is RRR which is an Indian action film. And this movie is just off the rails and over the top insane. And, but it also, I think has some moments, quieter moments that have some heart in them as well. Um, I really like the cast in this movie and the story is great. So um, RRR was definitely one that I enjoyed this year. Yeah. That movie is wild. (laughs) That, that, (laughs) um, yeah, yeah craziness it's long it's a i keep telling people about, about it and like three hours long like but it's crammed to the gills with it's operatic in the way it runs i mean it's got like schlocky action mixed with uh musical numbers happening during torture scenes <laughs> yeah well there's, that's there's a good musical number there's some, <laughs> yeah some other ones i couldn't get into as well but it's spectacle on such a grand scale that i feel like i haven't seen in a while it's a movie that's built like an old school like silent movie from the twenties, like something so grand and big that it barely, you barely need to worry about the dialogue. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. Bill, how about your number 10 movie? All right. My number 10, before I get into my list, I kind of realized after I had made my list, you know, my list is very reflective of my personality. 
in, in all the different facets and, and it will play itself out as we go. My number 10 is a documentary I found on Netflix and I just put it on late one night, didn't take any notes. I was just watching and I was riveted by it. And that's facing Nolan, the story of Nolan Ryan. Yeah, it's a good and, one. And it shows his rise from, you know, farm kid all the way up through, you know, delivering newspapers and his dad used to make him throw the ball, et cetera, and all the challenges he faced all the way up. And just a fascinating human interest story. Even if you don't like baseball, you'll like the story. But if you do like baseball, Greg, I really recommend you watch Facing Nolan. And it has lots of great interviews with former teammates, Hall of Famers, opponents, and and kind of goes, you know, he's somebody was up at the age of 19 on his way through the system and pitched till he was 45, 46. Wow. And he finally had to decide to retire, yeah. you know, and, you know, at the age of 42, he's taking on Robin Ventura, charging the mound and beating a guy 20 years his junior, <laughs> you know? So it's, it's just a fascinating watch. Yeah. If anybody has not seen Nolan Ryan do a beat down at 42, watch that. Cause that was one of the best, <laughs> best hockey fights I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it's insane i'm i'm putting it down right now to build to watch so thank you yeah you'll love it greg yeah as a non-sports fan i was fascinated by it it's a it's a great uh documentary and another one that was a a bill recommendation okay so to my number 10 movie of 2022 is a film that i actually saw technically speaking in the very beginning of 2021 at um, Sundance Film Festival a couple years ago, but it was not released theatrically until 2022. Uh, it's a film I've, if you've been listening to Phantom Galaxy, you probably heard me talk about it a couple of times. And I actually talked about it a little bit on Horror Movie Podcast a while back in a Sundance uh, episode. And it's a film I just recently discovered was actually filmed in Baltimore, about, you know, 20 or 30 minutes from where I live. And it's a sci fi fantasy maybe more fantasy than sci-fi but it's called strawberry mansion it's directed by a uh, tucker oddly and albert bernie and uh tucker oddly is actually the star he plays a character named preble who is a dream auditor he comes to this uh old lady's house this strawberry colored mansion out in the middle of a, a field out in the forest and he goes there to audit her dreams because she hasn't had this done in a very long time and the purpose of auditing dreams in this world is so that uh, they can keep track of everything that's going on in your head and they can place commercials in there if they need to mm-hmm. and a lot of this film takes place in a dream world that is made up of of what's happening in this lady's memories. So Preble puts in this VHS and this old sort of archaic Terry Gilliam looking uh, headgear that looks like a diving helmet. He puts <laughs> it on, plays a VHS and he's a transport into these dreams. This all has a very handmade sort of feel to it. It's a very low budget movie, but that sort of adds to the surrealism and to the dreamlike nature of it. And it's a very sweet, very gentle fantasy movie, but it really draws you in. I, Kept thinking about these characters, kept thinking about this world. The girl that he meets inside that dream world is a younger iteration of the old lady. Uh, it's a fantastic film with a, a small cast, but I love all the little details. This is a mo- This is the kind of movie that Terry Gilliam used to make, uh, a lot of different directors used to make, that you don't see much of anymore. And yet it's done on such... Uh, you the, the imagination really has to shine through because the resources are so limited. But great cast. Kentucky Oddly's fun. Penny Fuller as the old lady was terrific. And if anyone's seen The Menu, uh, Reed Birney, who was in that movie, 
Uh, he was the he was the man across from Judith Light at at, at their table. He's in the film too, uh, and a lot of fun. So if if you like flights of fancy, if that's sort of your thing, and you think of old school Terry Gilliam back to the days of Brazil and Time Bandits, I think you'll really dig Strawberry Mansion. It's a movie that again two years going, and I haven't been able to shake it, and it's uh, still with me. So Strawberry Mansion, check it out. You can uh, if you have a su- subscription to Mubi. Not to be not to be confused with Tubi, but it's the same <laughs> spelling M U B I. There's a lot of great movies on there. It's playing there. You can also buy it on Amazon, and I don't think it costs very much. But um, love this movie. Yeah, wow. and I'll, I'll stop doubting um, the weird movie recommendations you give me, Nathan, because I think there were three <laughs> that you gave me this year that were right around my top ten. This one did not make it, uh, but I absolutely was blown away by, by how I started. First of all, in the credits, I thought these names sounded made up like Kentucker. Are you kidding me? Like <laughs> these people that were in this movie, but um, I tell you it's, it is. And it's so for such an far out there and kind of weird concept. It's so digestible as a plot, like the basic plot and the story that's told in this. So I absolutely second. If you haven't checked that one out, definitely watch it. Hmm. Okay. So Greg, your number nine movie. All right, number nine coming in with jingle, 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 jingling. Uh, we're going in. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Tommy <laughs> Workola's Violet Night. That was trying to be a Christmas type jingle bell. Uh, Violet Night, dude. You better watch out. What a fun movie, man. This one right here, such a blast, dude. I'm telling you. Uh, oh my gosh. And everybody knows about it, so I won't go much into it. But David Harbor from Stranger Things just crushed it as Santa Claus. Had some really good kills in it. It could have made some horror lists, but it was just a little bit too light on the horror and just more of an action thriller to me. Uh, But, man, what he could do with a hammer. Holy cow. (laughs) We got four. Yeah, that was a lot of fun, Greg. Yep. Greg, here was Michael Myers' massacre for you. It was in this movie via Santa Claus. Thank you. (laughs) Way to bring it down there, Nathan. (laughs) First movie of 2022, Halloween ends. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah sorry i'm baiting people now but no this was a <laughs> lot of fun and you know who really kind of a uh, shown for me was john leguizamo i mean i've always liked him but it was fun to see him uh here mm-hmm. as the villain i bow to him in the menu and this one great stuff there you go victor you said it about two you know actors having more than one role and there you go he had the menu and violet night yeah leguizamo yeah. Yeah. within a few weeks of each other yeah. yeah. So no, that was a, that one was really fun. There were a lot of good action movies this year. I feel like fun action movies, but Pearl, how about your number nine? My number nine is a survival drama film that actually caught me by surprise. Um, it kept me interested, and so I was like, okay. Um, this one's called The Fall, Ooh. and. Oh. It was a really good survival movie. I mean, it felt so realistic. The characters were good. It kept you high on tension. And if you have acrophobia, well, you shouldn't watch this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was. I enjoyed that one. Uh, I, I didn't know what I was getting, honestly, because I went in blind with it. And there's a certain scene where you're going, what the hell? <laughs> and I'll yeah. just leave it at that. I've that a few times. This is one that I, when I saw the trailer, I was underwhelmed by, and I should have gotten out to the theater to see it, and I didn't. And so when we finally, I think my wife was glad we didn't go to the theater to see it Mm -hmm. uh, because of what that would have been like. But yeah, it's a, 
it's one of those little surprises you're talking about where I was like, hey, this is this is pretty good. And they did everything they needed to do with it. Okay, Victor, your number nine movie. Number nine, I have, uh, here's an example of, I think, somebody that had a really great year. Uh, John Hamm starred in Confess Fletch, or is it Confess Fletch? <laughs> uh, I don't know how to say it, but it's directed by Greg Matola. You know him from Superbad and that uh, Larry David film, Clear History. Uh, I genuinely chuckled my way through this movie. And um, what I really loved about it was it kind of revives like the original Chevy Chase Fletch movies from the eighties, kind of this, it's this odd genre of like crime comedy. And (laughs) um, I, I like that. I want more of that. Uh, I thought it was very deftly done. And uh, I, I, I enjoyed the, the performance. And I I thought that uh, ham was a great, a great uh, new Fletch. So I hope he makes more of these. Yeah, we uh, reviewed this a while back on Phantom Galaxy, and I was the one that told Nathan because he didn't know it was anything about it. And I didn't even know it existed. <laughs> no, it had been on my radar for a while because, I mean, I'll, I'll say right now, the original Fletch is in my top ten all-time films. I love yeah. Fletch. That's great. <laughs> and so I went into this a little bit reticent, and I ended up enjoying it uh, more than I probably thought I would, but it, I, I found the tone is a little different. Like, there weren't the Pratt Falls you know there weren't the penis jokes but but what you got but what you got you know dr rosen penis dr rosen rosen dr rosen you know like you didn't have those kind of jokes in it right, right. but you you had a more subtle comedy a, a dark comedy um a, a more clever comedy but the emphasis on the crime was still there like in the first fletch cr- the crime element was still there but i thought it was underplayed and in this one, I thought crime was in the forefront and comedy was underplayed. But I really like John Hamm's delivery, and they really left it open for a continuation of this series, which I really look forward to. Yeah. 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 I enjoyed this one too, Victor. And it was the comedy worked for me and the crime elements worked for me and the twists and turns it goes through. And I'm always down for John Hamm, and he was excellent in this film. And I actually prefer John Hamm's Fletch, having now seen the movie, I, to Chevy Chase's. But that probably shouldn't be surprising. <laughs> no, but there was no mention, no mention of Ted Nugent in this one. No, no that is true. That's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> Trey, your number nine movie. Yeah, so at number nine, I think I'm going to go ahead and go with Top Gun Maverick. And... This was one I had no anticipation for, as I'm not a huge fan of the original Top Gun. But when I watched this, I was kind of um, blown away. And I've been really impressed with what Tom Cruise has done recently with these action movies. And I think he's really uh, stepped it up with like the Mission Impossible stuff and even something like Oblivion or all that. But I think that fits in kind of those. I mean, if you like the Mission Impossible movies and those kind of things, I think you would enjoy this as well. It's just a. Um, fun octane high octane action movie that was just a lot of fun to watch yeah i i'm with you trey that i didn't i was never a fan of the original top gun i liked the flying scenes it was just another movie that really connected with me even going back to rewatch it uh with my family before this one came out i was still sort of like nope still not doing anything for me and Yet this was a legitimately good movie and surprisingly kind of a character movie underneath everything else. So mm-hmm. uh, 
with some fantastic action scenes. So yeah, I, I love this movie. Yeah, I, I do have to say that you know this it missed my top ten list, but I, I think for an iconic movie that's thirty five years old, that's almost you know it's a cultural piece now. It's not just a movie. I think they did about as good as they could. You know, like yeah. they, I didn't find that they brought a lot more to the table, but I think the fans of the first film will enjoy it. And I think you didn't necessarily have to have seen the first one to enjoy this either. So, I mean, I, my only thing is maybe perhaps maybe they could have tweaked a little here and there, but otherwise, you know, it was way better than I expected. And so I think it's well worth a watch. You got your volleyball scene, Bill. What more could you want? <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. You did get your volleyball scene. <laughs> I, 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 I half expected Kelly McGillis to pop up or something. But. And for some reason, Millennials singing Great Balls of Fire. But oh, yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe somebody auto-tuned it in the past few years or something. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Bill, your number nine movie. Okay, my number nine movie was one I watched last week, not because I felt like I had to watch it because the beauty of this list is I put no pressure on myself. It's just whatever I got to, I got to, but I wanted to do this one as a history guy. I wanted to watch this film. It fascinates me and it makes me feel good. Cause like, I, at the end of the day, this is an actual real good film that will be getting Oscars. And this is all quiet on the Western front. And I enjoyed it, and I felt a little handicapped. I hadn't read the book. I hadn't seen the 1930 or the 1979 film. But me having a history degree, me knowing, you know, I've done research, uh, you know, I've done papers on all these sorts of things, uh, World War One, And I ended up really enjoying it. The fight scenes to me, or the fight scenes, the battle scenes were reminiscent of Saving Private Ryan in terms of, you know, their starkness, the reality. And there's a few really stark scenes, touching scenes that you're going to go, yeah, he really did deal with a lot and war is real. And it didn't make it look sexy. It didn't overplay its hand. Was it 100% historically accurate? I don't think so. I don't think on the last days of the war, the Germans put up a big fight because basically they were you know, trampled by that point, they were starving and their, their troops were giving up. So the, the end of the movie, I think probably overplayed it a bit, but there are a couple scenes there where you're like, I would not want to have lived in those conditions. So I really think this movie is going to get a few Oscars. The cinematography is amazing. I think mm -hmm. the acting did great. You can watch it in the Germans, uh, the English subs, or you can watch it uh, sub or with uh, English speaking in it. I think it's well worth a watch. Yeah, it. Yeah, uh, I, I liked it. It reminded me a bit of a Russian movie I saw a couple of years ago called Come and See. Um, but yeah. I, I enjoyed All Quiet on the Western Front more than Come and See. But it was a lot of similar themes. It's a, it's a World War II movie also. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I thought it was great. Yeah, Come and See is uh, even more grueling <laughs> if that than, uh, than All Quiet on the Western Front in a lot of ways. But uh, both great movies, and as a big fan of the of the older film, I don't think I've actually seen the '79 film, but the uh, the film from the late '20s. Uh, this is this is very good. This is a, a great movie. So, what do you got there, Nathan? So, my number nine is the thing Bill loves the most: a tie. And <laughs> yes. it's uh, I think 
Yeah. It's a seven-way yeah. tie for number no, nine. No, it's just a, it's just a five-way tie. No, it's two. It's just two movies. I tried to go easy on your bill. There was a point when I had like everything was a tie, but uh, the this is a good example of how with this list, these are two movies that would have been right near the very top of my list last year, and uh, this year they're yeah they're here at number nine, and they're. There are films from two very well-established and now much older filmmakers that, that prove they can still make great movies this late into their career. And they're both movies that deal with how we as people sort of process and use stories and storytelling and to make sense of life. And uh, for the first of them that I'm not going to talk a lot about is The Fablements, Steven Spielberg's new uh, really kind of autobiographical movie about Growing up, uh, this family's called the Fablemans. They're not the Spielbergs, but a lot of this is pulled from from Spielberg's life, and a lot of it deals with him uh, as a young child and then as a teen, uh, finding his way into the idea of telling stories, specifically through of through a camera, through uh, moving images, and through ultimately movies. And there's a lot in here that I was fascinated by. I think that. Spielberg might have been the right person to make an auto, like a biography or biopic about himself. There's a certain humility and insight, I think, that goes into it that I was impressed with because they're uh, the way we see him developing his approach that it's not just about making movies, but it's about making sense of his world and also using it as a tool, sometimes a tool to to make friends and tool to pacify enemies and things that that, that aspect was very interesting. And the other thing I love, there's a scene where a boy sees an image on a movie screen and he spends a lot of his time trying to recreate that. You know, he wants his toy train set for a very specific purpose. I love that. And it ties into a way into my, my Thai movie, which maybe less people have seen, uh, but also made by a filmmaker now in his, uh, I believe his eighties, uh, that's still making great films. And that is George Miller's 3000 years of longing that deals with, uh, Tilda Swinton plays a woman who rubs a lamp and a genie comes out played by Idris Elba. And even though there are fantastical scenes as this genie relates the stories about the wishes that were previously cast that brought him to where he is, the those images are amazing. Uh, they're great. There there are there are scenes uh, involving uh, a moment where you see King Solomon and his castle and his palace, and it's a lot sexier than those Bible images I saw back in the day. And there's a harem here that I think even uh, Fellini would have looked at and said, "Okay, that's maybe too much." And ultimately, though, the heart of the movie is this relationship and this back and forth between Swinton and Elba, and I was fascinated. And really moved by that. And there was a point in time in the about halfway through the film where I thought this might be my favorite movie of the year. And I think it I think it doesn't quite get there because it's really it's reaching, it's so ambitious and it's reaching for, you know, really, how do we make sense of the universe? And of course it doesn't quite get there. Uh, but it it's uh these are both movies I look forward to revisiting. They're movies I'm going to own and watch again and again. And uh I I think they're great. Yeah, I I really liked uh 3000 years of longing and um i there there is a an x-files episode from season seven <laughs> i think with uh with a gin in it that i liked a little more than this movie but i thought this was the sec- my second favorite you know sort of telling of that kind of narrative yeah wasn't it rolled up in a rug or something <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah okay it's a great episode. i like this more but i i did like that yeah Okay, Greg, what is your number eight movie? 
Number eight is Pearl's number nine, and that was Scott Mann's The Fall. Uh, nice. Wow, that movie, man. I'm like you, Nathan. I wish I'd have, I'd have manned up and went to the theater. And see <laughs> oh, my God. I just I was having such doubts on this one. Like, I, I just... It didn't look like it was going to be good, honestly. But wow, dude, from the moment it hit play to the last action sequence, man, I was like into this movie so much. I'm, I'm a petrified of heights. So that plays into it. And oh, my goodness, dude, the, the, the tension in this movie is insane in some of the scenes. And uh, wow, if you're claustrophobic or if you have a fear of heights, you may want to buckle up watching this one. <laughs> and I'm telling you what, uh, this is that movie kind of like Adam Green's uh, Frozen that yes. just was way better than it should have been because I'm a big fan of that movie as well. Uh, this is that one, man. It was really well done. Yeah, and it's hard It's hard to tell a story well when you have those limitations, but I think they did it. Exactly. Um, Pearl, what is your number eight movie? My number eight is one that Seemed to do very good this year, but it also was very weird and made everyone question it. Minus men. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, I mean, this one. Oh God, what do I say about it? <laughs> <laughs> it it was it was a good show representation of how a woman in a very toxic environment can become so numb and she got she's trying to escape all the trauma that's happened to her and she finds herself that no matter where she's go she goes she's surrounded by men and then yet in this movie every man that she encounters represents some kind of trait of her husband and it's like a constant reminder i mean you know i mean for example like the police officer um not caring to protect her or Ignoring her, making her feel invalid, and that's how her husband made her feel. Well, ex-husband. I mean, you you just got a very weird ending to this movie as well that <laughs> made everyone jaw drop. <laughs> and I know, and I know, and I realize it's supposed to be a, a representation of how toxic men, and the more they're re, no matter how many times they're reborn, if they never fix a problem, it's just going to generate and keep going and keep going and even pass on to generations if it's never fixed. So, I mean, this movie had a lot of metaphors. It was strong. It had good acting. It was weird in a lot of parts, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, Rory yeah, I... Kinnear, he had a great year. <laughs> <laughs> right, his five or six good roles were all in this movie, right? Yeah, yep. he's the, he's the man. <laughs> Yeah, I, I love this film. This was in my top five horror. Yeah, my, and you know it's yeah. one of those ones that don't try to analyze it too hard because you're not gonna get it all completely. But it's just one of those movies that I like because it's a little bit out there. You know, it's not just left to center. It's way you shanked it, <laughs> but, yeah. <it's, laughs> but, yeah. but 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 in a good way. It, it's it's super enjoyable. I you know I love that kind of film every now and again, and uh, this one hit the mark for me. There's no. Yeah, I think this was on all three of our uh, horror lists. And uh, yeah, don't bet against Alec Gar Alex Garland, <laughs> I don't think, <laughs> uh, at this point. he's For me, anyway, he's knocking it out of the park like every time. So Same. I would love to see a, a combination of Alex Garland team up with uh, Moorhead and Benson. Because mm. yeah. that would just be way... <laughs> okay, Victor, what is your number eight movie? 
Uh, for number eight, I had the Fablemans, um, which you already covered. Cool. But um, yeah, one thing I noticed, uh, I really liked it, obviously. Um, and uh, there's this formula that Stanley Kubrick used to have for making movies. Um, and it's it's in some documentary about him where he talks about unsinkable moments. Like these are scenes that long after you've forgotten the bulk of the movie, you will remember these scenes. And I think that the Fablemans hit that trifecta of scenes with uh, the scene with Judd Hirsch, where he yes. comes to the family and he says, you're, you've joined the circus. And um, that scene in the hallway, of course, uh, which he talked about. And uh, finally, the scene with David Lynch as Ford. Uh, they're incredible scenes. Um, but uh, yeah. yeah, I think it's, 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 it's a long movie, but it's very rewarding. It made me, it gave me all the feels. So yeah, highly recommend it. This is like Spielberg for me. This is like Spielberg's second win, like last year with West Side Story and some of his recent movies. I feel like he's capturing those things that I loved about him when he was when he was first making movies. And I'm I'm loving that, that he's sort of back in a way, in a different way. I know. Yeah. He's incredible. I loved West Side Story too. I'm not a big musical yeah. guy, but man, that was it was awesome. Okay. And all right. Trey, what is your number eight movie? Uh, my number eight is your number nine, and that is 3,000 Years of Longing. Um, <laughs> I got two and... of them with one tie. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, this is just, uh, you already said a lot about it, but I will just say that Elba and Swinton in this movie are great. They're just conversations back and forth, and it's just visually stunning. George Miller delivers on the types of visuals you'd see in his Mad Max films on a whole other level, I think. Some of these are just so striking and beautiful. And, you know, the first 90 minutes of this film, I was just so enthralled. The ending's a bit of a miss for me, but it's such a good journey that I can forgive it for that. Man, yeah, the the way Idris Elba delivers the lines, I mean, they're, they're very well written, but I, I really believed he was that impossibly old magical character. Like, he's great yes. in this movie. Watching him in this made my heart kind of break for how poorly they used him in the Dark Tower movie. Like, how good a Roland he would have been if they give him the the room, you know, and the material. Okay, so, Bill, your number eight. My number eight is a film that I haven't mentioned anywhere on any podcast. And it wasn't a film that was in the theaters. Again, it's another one where you're sitting on the couch with your wife. And you're looking for something to watch that you'll both sit and watch. And we were strolling through Netflix oh, in the first half of the year. And Netflix, I find, is really good in some of their documentaries. And there was one called Untold, The Girlfriend Who Didn't Exist. Oh, yeah. Now, for those of you that remember the name Manti Teo, linebacker up for Heisman Trophies, playing for Notre Dame, had the world at his hand, ready to make his way in the world in the NFL and become the next big linebacker. Little did you know what was going on behind the scenes. So I'm going to actually give the one short line synopsis on IMDb. From Notre Dame to the NFL, Manti Teo's future in football showed promise until a secret online relationship sent his life and career spiraling. 
as Teo was climbing the ranks and getting ready to be drafted and had all the scouts just drooling at his physical abilities, he had an online relationship with a girl who ended up catfishing him. And it got to the point where he wanted to meet her. He had talked online and she faked her death. And the whole national consciousness of college football felt for him. And they made a, you know, announcements on the air while he was playing in bowl games. The guy is literally had his focus shifted from NFL to this person who he thought he was in love with online. But was she? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say any more because I want you to watch the film. But if you're not a football fan, doesn't matter. You can watch this and throw out all the football elements of it. And you've got the story of a boy, man growing up from the islands and a religious man who felt the best in everybody and had his emotions and his family toyed with. And what played out really was a shame on a man who didn't ever quite reach his zenith based on the actions of one person. Wow. Bill, I wish you would have uh, told me about this one. As a big Notre Dame football fan, yeah, I'm well aware of the situation that went on with uh, Manti Teo back in, I think, 2012 or whatever. But yeah, um, that's definitely going to shoot up my list to watch because I need to check that out. So. Uh, Netflix had a whole uh, not a whole series. He had the three or four sports-related dramas that were documentaries called Untold. Uh, okay. There was one yeah. There was one about the NBA ref that got caught for um, getting involved with the mafia. Oh, yep. no. Uh, there's one about uh, uh, there's one about sailing and the the Aussie team that beat the Americans in the America's Cup back in the '80s, but I found this one was far and above the best of them all. Yeah, Bill, you recommended this one to me. I watched it, and it's uh, yeah, it is captivating regardless of whether you're uh, tuned in with the sports. And I didn't know the story that was going on here, so it was very fascinating to watch. But I think there are enough facets that it explores the way it explores it, that it goes uh, goes beyond the surface level telling. Yeah. And as I said, you can, if you don't like football, you'll still get something out of it. Okay. What do you got there, Nathan? What's your number my eight? number, my number Another eight. tie. Oh. <laughs> are you done? <laughs> Actually. Are you, done? <laughs> are, you, are, you go- are you good, Bill? Okay. Good. Number, eight. <laughs> number eight is the Banshees of Inishirin which is one of those, uh, I don't know if this is who you were talking about, Victor, but one of the people that had a really good year this year was Colin, was Colin Farrell, Colin who, Farrell, uh, yeah. you know, I feel like I see him here and there and things, and then here he comes out with uh, with several movies this year. It, I mean, I watched most of Batman, not know, the Batman not realizing he's in the film. He, he was in 13 Lives. He was in uh, several movies this year. And for me, uh, his performance in this one was like, astonishing this is a martin mcdonough movie he previously had done in bruges and seven psychopaths and he's worked with colin farrell obviously in the past uh, i love this movie and a lot of it is the interplay between farrell and brendan gleason who's also masterful in this movie and this kind of small close-knit irish story about this guy who wants to know why his friend of his lifelong friend won't talk to him anymore and he's just like you know i'm tired of you you're dull and that's where that movie starts, but where it goes, it goes into so many different facets that you're not expecting of dark comedy, but also there's a sort of 
there's a there's a acerbic element to it, and there's a gentleness and a melancholy and a very morbid sense of humor, and they all gel together in a way that you almost think that they shouldn't. And for me, actually, I think this might be my favorite of the movies that McDonough's done because uh, he weaves them together in a way that's even more fluid, I think, than in Bruges, which which is a film I do love. And there are side characters here in this village that are just as fascinating. And honestly, um, Barry Keegan's in this film, and I. I've seen him in a few other films and he never made too much of an impression with me, but here he really does as, as the sort of uh, a character that most people see as the dim witted local uh, who, who, who doesn't quite understand things, but he understands more than he lets on. And his character's fascinating. He's funny. He's sad. Uh, I mean, he's a great, almost Shakespearean level side character in a film that's filled with wonderful characters and uh, the cinematography, the acting, everything is on point for this film. This is a movie in any other year would be right, right there at the very top. I love this. The Banshees of Inishirin. I highly recommend it. If you have HBO Max, it's playing there right now. It's a masterpiece. Yeah. Love it. I think somehow in, in minimizing the scope of the script and the dialogue these two actors i mean the yeah barry keoghan and and carrie condon are both great supporting actors in this movie but uh man colin farrell and brendan gleason (laughs) you can't take your eyes off of them it's crazy i i had have not laughed this hard watching a movie since scorsese's (laughs) after hours in the 80s wow wow yeah that's that's a good uh that's actually a very interesting counterpoint to this like yeah like uh uh, it's a fat, it, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful movie. Okay. So Greg, you're number seven. We're sailing right along here. Number seven, number seven, uh, number seven, a sequel. And it is a knives out mystery. And it's called glass onion for Rianne Johnson. Absolutely love this movie. Daniel Craig, Edward Norton, uh, Kate Hudson, man, the whole cast is freaking so good in this movie. Uh, did not want to like this movie, but I really enjoyed it. Not as good as the original uh, from last year, year before, but this one was really fun. I like the twists, the turns, and uh, the reveals. There's some humor in it that is hilarious. Uh, man, Daniel Craig nailing some of his off-kilter humor. <laughs> I just love his quirkiness, man. And uh, I love Edward Norton as as the antagonist. Uh, he was so good in this movie, man. Uh, but man, this is fun, 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 fun. Glass Onion, uh, highly recommended. Yeah, I agree with you there, Greg. It didn't quite make my list. I love Daniel Craig in that role. Yes, I think he's going to take that role for the next ten, fifteen years. Because I hope he does. Yeah. So yeah. good. <laughs> One every he, year, dude. Make this like a yearly thing. I would be all about. It. I love his, his a Thanksgiving like, tradition. Like, yeah, like he, he's got that. He's got that southern drawl. He's got that look to him. He's got the pacing. He's got a lot of Donald Sutherland in him. Just the way that he paces himself, how he holds on to the line for an extra second, and and you want to root for him. And you like seeing him squirm a little. He's got a little bit of Columbo, Peter Falk in him, just kind of bugging people and nagging him until he figures it out. But he like, lets out his frustration. He's got a little bit of Hercule Poirot. I really like him. And I agree. Ed Norton was fun. And let's just say there's an explosive ending. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like Columbo via like Foghorn and Leghorn or something. Yes. I, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's like, uh, I maybe it was Chris Evans. Somebody in the first film in Knives Out said something like, oh, it's uh, CSI KFC. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we had what Knives Out. Now we have Glass Onion. So how about the next one? Uh, I'll go ahead and pitch it to you, Ann Johnson. How about we do Knives Out mashed potatoes? We'll do mashed potatoes next. <laughs> that's that that's that's the one yeah. right there. I say I say that's just preposterous, Greg. Yeah. <laughs> what one of the things I love about this though is they when they, they paired him with Anna de Armas in that first film, and then yes. the pairing here in this film. I don't want to kind of give it away because it sort of develops as the film goes on. That was another great pairing. Like they're doing a great job of taking him, playing him against somebody else, making that sort of the central sleuthing team. And that's what's really selling these movies for me. Yeah. Absolutely. But they changed the formula a little too, even with that pairing. So that's very true. Well, yeah, that's why. I, yeah, that's why I wanted didn't say too much about it or yep. to the actress yep. or anything. But yep. Well, you know, one thing I really liked. I saw it last night, and um, one thing I really liked about it was the licensed music use. Um, there's a Nat King Cole's Mona Lisa used brilliantly yeah. uh, in the climax, <laughs> and there's a few other uses um, that uh, really got to tip my hat to the music supervisor. And, and for some reason, in a, every year, one of the big films, Dave Batista shows up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's he's making his way up the chain. I mean, that, he's he's being very strategic, and I think he's going to go some places because he's good. And, and the thing with me, all no I, 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 <laughs> no, I, 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 I think he knows his acting limitations. He kind of plays roles that he can do, and he does them well. Yeah. Well, well, I think he's doing more. I think that he's trying to stretch himself. A little little by little and I, I remember when i first sort of became aware of that was when he was in blade runner 2049 for just a yeah. few minutes and he injected a lot of pathos into those couple of minutes that this guy is not yeah. he's not trying to kind of just do a rock or a schwarzenegger he's trying to like stretch himself here and and, and i think he's doing great and it was fun it was yeah, fun absolutely. seeing kate, kate hudson kind of self-deprecating you know, <laughs> yeah. it's fun to see kate hudson yeah i, I feel like i haven't seen her in a little bit um Okay, so Pearl, you're number seven. My number seven is going to be really quick because it was mentioned already, so I got only two things to say. I hate Tom Cruise. (laughs) 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 But I do have a need for speed. (laughs) Good one. (laughs) Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, Maverick. You like going in the danger zone, don't you? (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) It was the volleyball scene that got her. Oh, God, no. <laughs> I want I want to be up there flying and doing that whole like trail they were doing. I want to be shooting and man, those scenes were so intense and so good and so like immersive. Those flying oh, scenes are crazy. Okay. okay, so Victor, your number seven movie. Number seven, Elvis, Baz Luhrmann. Oh, cool. um, okay, so you know I'm really into music. I uh, like all kinds of genres. Never really got into Elvis because th- I guess I got into most of my genres because of my job, because I was just asked to license this or that for this show or this movie or this game. And um, I never really licensed any Elvis tracks, so I never got into them. And I was a little, uh, you know, too too old, too young, I guess, for for the Elvis movies. Um, so I kind of went into this with a blank slate. Like I, I know about his cult of personality and, you know, what an important figure he was in, in music and rock music and set in the fifties. And, um, I was amazed. I mean, it is a biopic. Uh, it is compelling. 
And um, it was a perfect sampling of his hits over the years and his the way he sort of changed his persona on stage and all the stuff that he went through was really moving um, there. Now, if you're an Elvis fan, uh, there are some dark moments towards the end. But as a guy who loves artists, I really, really admire the hell out of Elvis <laughs> a lot more than I used to. <laughs> Uh, it really sold me, and I highly re- recommend this. I'm with you, Victor, on that, because I was in the same boat you were. I knew uh, some of his hits, of course. I think everybody knew Jailhouse Rock, a couple of those hits. Uh, you had to, but I never got into the discography either. Uh, it wasn't until Meeting Pearl that I started learning some of the discography. I'm like, holy cow. Uh, yeah, she goes deep with it. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, she's seaside, not just B-side. She goes seaside, and I'm like, Wow. <laughs> <laughs> incredible yeah and uh and i mean austin butler plays elvis and yeah he doesn't look like elvis but it doesn't matter like after the first 10 minutes or so you i believe that's the that's him yeah 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 he he was he was really good in it and uh, yeah I, I like the film brought that to light in terms of i uh, same kind of deal kind of admired him elvis uh, and like the music, but didn't know as much about everything else. And, and, and the combination of this movie, and I watched a film uh, for an episode I did with Dave of his DVD infatuation called King Creole. So if you ever want to see a movie where Elvis legitimately has to act in a mm-hmm. film that's even that goes beyond just the songs, go see King Creole. It's definitely worth uh, checking out. And so, so yeah, is I, Elvis. I always liked uh, Viva Las Vegas, where he's the uh, hotel, hotel uh, errand boy. Yeah, yeah. race cars (laughs) i have yet to see that um yeah and and that's a little more in the wheelhouse of oh this is elvis as a star in a movie whereas king creole he's he's play he's in a basically kind of a almost a southern fried noir movie and he's uh and he's acting opposite walter matthau as uh as the heavy so that's fun yeah but yeah (laughs) so trey what is your number seven movie yeah, so my number seven is um, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And this is the return of Sam Raimi, who we haven't seen in a long time. And I think there's plenty of Raimi DNA in this thing throughout. And I think that's what really captured me along with the um, characters in this as well. I'm a really big fan of Doctor Strange. And when you throw in, you know, some other cameos that we have littered all throughout this thing. And it was just... Um, I don't know. I just really enjoyed this Marvel movie none of the other ones really did it for me this year, but, uh, I really enjoyed this and I got to say, if you haven't seen this and you want to go into it, um, Nathan had told me ahead of time to watch WandaVision on Disney plus, And I, I feel like that's almost mandatory. So that kind of, that's kind of the drawback of this kind of stuff when, as this MCU balloons, but, um, this movie was so much fun and there's, you know, bits of horror here and there and, yeah, that's my number seven. Pizza Papa always gets paid, Trey. Always. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bill, what is your number seven movie? My number seven movie is one that another one of those, you know, genre benders. And I went with Prey. Oh, I oh. I put Prey on the action side as opposed to the horror side. And I really enjoyed it because... I wouldn't say it's a slow burn, but the story was methodically built for the first 30, 40, 45 minutes and the backstory to the predator. And then the action, the action ramped up. 
and I just found myself engrossed. Like to me, it had a little bit of the history element to it. It had a little bit of the action element to it. And it brought something to the predator, you know, that didn't have uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's bulging biceps involved. And the action was good. You know, there were some good kills. There was some good intrigue. But ultimately, it was just a monster movie that was an action film that I really enjoyed the experience. So I don't know if you guys considered this horror or non-horror, but I'm sure you enjoyed the film. Yeah, I went non-horror as well, Bill. I thought it was a good, solid Return of the Predator universe. And I was happy to take Amber Mid-Thunder as a replacement for Schwarzenegger's bulging biceps. (laughs) She's really, really good in the film. But what about Jesse the Body Ventura, who replaced him? Uh, You can't replace a sexual Tyrannosaurus, Trey. You can't do it. (laughs) Well, so number seven is going to see me back at a tie. My only other tie, so Bill won't have to fret for the the rest of the uh, <laughs> the podcast and uh these these two films are again uh, this is a year where the, where these sort of more gentle mild manner movies were hitting just right with me sometimes that stuff tends to to, to bore me or i find the, them too trite uh these are two movies that deal specifically with uh the, the concepts of grief and loss and even trying to find find meaning in, in, in solace in, in the brevity of our lives, but from the perspective of children, that's a, those are pretty lofty and existential themes to deal with when you're making a film that essentially a kid could watch. I mean, these are not topics that are ever broached in most American uh, children's films at all. And so uh, two of these films, the first one is Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, which t- when I first saw the trailer, I, A24 put it out, and I was like, this is weird. It looks like an A24 kids movie but i didn't know if that meant it was going to be good or not and and apparently there were a lot of little online shorts that were are literally this little almost like he's just a he's just a little like piece of memorabilia on a shelf like he's a shell with a glued on eye and he walks around and talks and that you know seems like it could get grading pretty quickly but then they go and they make this entire movie dean fleischer campus the director and it is set up like a documentary where they're documenting this little shell who lives with his grandmother whose name is manicotti and she's voiced by isabella russellini uh and that gives you sort of portends the weirdness involved because he was one of several hundreds of shells at one point little knickknacks and they were all a family in a drawer somewhere and then they all got misplaced and they're gone and he doesn't know where they went and part of the story is him looking for them. Part of the story is dealing with the fact that his Nanakati is getting older and she's becoming senile. He's dealing with the fact that the one person he's close to, he may lose. And he, the relationship between he and the documentarian are part of the story here. It sounds completely silly until you start to watch this movie and you're drawn into the, the rhythms of the story. And it becomes very moving and very touching. And I took my kids and they were fascinated by this. Of all the big packaged kids movies that came out this year this is the one they continue to talk about this is one other one that i'll I'll mention later but this film really uh it really struck a chord with me it it does make you think about life and about uh about how we process things and and about the care that we put into it while people are here and while they're with us i did not expect that from marcel the shell with shoes on the other movie is a french film that i think very few people have probably seen I, i think the people who've seen Marcel the Shell with Shoes on may be limited, but this is probably even more so. 
But this film is actually streaming on Hulu right now. I kind of stumbled across it. It's called Petite Maman. It's directed by Celine Siama, who uh, the movie she's probably most well known for at this point is Portrait of a Lady on Fire, uh, which was a great film from a few years ago. This is a French film. It deals with a little girl named Nellie. Her grandmother has just passed away and she and her parents go to that house to clean it out and while they're there she goes back into the woods behind the house and there's a little wood fort there she starts playing with the wood fort and before long a young girl that looks very similar to her comes up and starts playing as well and she learns that this little girl whose name is marion incidentally the same name as her mother uh they have a lot in common and they start to play and they interact and uh it's a very gentle fantasy film or i'd say more magical realism uh, because the style is very naturalistic. The, these two young girls are sisters and uh, their camaraderie really shows. But this is a fascinating, deep, but simple film. The movie is, is very straightforward. It's 72 minutes long. There you go, Bill. Not a big epic. And, there you go. But it packs so much heart and punch into this in a way that is uh, masterful. I, I sat there and there was a moment... Uh, in this film where you see an object at the beginning of the movie and you know that that object has meaning. And then later you hear a sound associated with that object. And just the, the connecting of those two ideas brought tears to my eyes because of how it's happened and what it means in the context of the film. This is a marvelous movie. Both of these movies, you're probably sitting there thinking, I don't know if these are for me. These are wonderful movies. I would defy anyone to sit and watch them and not be moved by them to some degree. So uh, Petite Maman and Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Okay, Greg, what is your number six? Um, I, I'll get. Uh, I just saw. I, I do want to say this, Nathan. Uh, Lisa Marie Presley has died. Like legit, just oh, passed. Oh place. no. Uh, yeah. It, <laughs> I'm trying to get my thoughts together. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, the uh, unbearable weight of massive talent. Nicholas Cage, uh, kind of biopic type movie uh, i love this movie man this was uh such an amazing film i had such a blast watching this in the theater we've watched it since uh i think this was like if nicholas cage had a role this is his role because it's almost like i feel like his life story that that's that's my number six great movie check it out lots of action nicholas cage being nicholas cage and pedro uh, pascal from uh who yeah, most people might know from the mandalorian yeah or wonder woman 84 huh yeah, yeah. We don't talk a lot about that one, guys. Yeah, let's not talk about that. <laughs> okay, Pearl, you're number six. My number six is The Adam Project with Ryan oh, Reynolds. Nice. This one was a uh, great story, great characters. Um, I mean, once you watch this, you kind of hooked on it. You know that there's a lot of seriousness and growth, but also a lot of humor. Which, of course, Ryan Reynolds is known for his humor. Mm -hmm. um, but this one makes you truly kind of rethink aspects in your life. What would you do if you had a choice to go back and change something? Um, it, this movie truly leaves a mark on you with some fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. I remember watching this with the kids. And it really, for me, harkened back to a certain kind of movie that Disney and a couple other studios used to make in the 80s. These live action kids adventure films. I'm thinking of a movie like Cloak and Dagger that Universal did. Uh, Flight of the Navigator. Movies like that. That was a Disney film. Uh, and it had that kind of feel to it. And I, 
I loved when they brought in Mark Ruffalo sort of midpoint into the into the movie. I thought that the way he and Reynolds played off of each other was a lot of fun. So yeah, this this was a good good little movie. Okay, Victor, you're number six. Uh, number six, I had uh, the worst person in the world. It's uh, it's a Norwegian drama. It's currently on Hulu in the U.S. and uh, it's directed by I think it's pronounced Joachim Trier. And uh, I was attracted to this movie because he directed a, another movie a couple of years ago called Thelma, which uh, yes. has uh, mm-hmm. it's like a superpowers slash horror. Yep. Um, it's a good fantastic movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, I liked it quite a bit. Um, this is totally unlike that, but I still <laughs> really liked it. Um, this is uh, now I am a man in my 50s and uh, I'm fascinated about how people in their early 30s these, de- these days uh, date. Like, you know, the, the, <laughs> the, the field is so different now. And that's exactly what this is about. Like, the, it's about a woman in Norway going through. Uh, three or four relationships and then the last act it gets quite philosophical and heavy um but it's a great performance uh great performances uh and um yeah. i really uh, enjoyed it so yeah and there's some nice artistic uh you know cinematography uh cinematography in it as well uh highly entertaining <clears throat> yeah this is a, an amazing film just uh just missed my list by a little bit more mostly because i ended up associating it with last year up until like the last second i was like oh uh, because I think I might have seen it last year at a film festival, but and it gets a little magical realism in there too. I mean, maybe more mm-hmm. more metaphorical, but uh, a very cool scene, and everyone will know what we're talking about when they see it. But yeah, definitely check this one out. It's it's, uh, it's a great movie. Okay, Trey, you're number six. Okay, Bill, if you need to get up and go to the restroom or plug your ears or anything, um, I've got a three way tie here. <laughs> and- I am officially going to pee. <laughs> Oh, I'm mentioning one of your movies, Bill. <laughs> okay, maybe I'll stay there. Okay, I'll do that one real quick. Okay, so... <laughs> Three to be classics. No, no, no. These are all connected... Uh, Bill's other passion in Netflix... Um, so these three are all kind of connected in the sense that they are music films. And this first one is Metal Lords. And, Bill, you might have introduced me to this one. I can't remember. But this is a fun story about, you know, three... An unlikely trio of high school kids who are setting out to play together in various (laughs) styles and join in the battle of the bands. I just thought this was a really fun movie and a, a good time. And I liked all of the main leads in this and how they changed throughout it. Um, now these other two have a very different vibe. My next one is tar and that is just, you know, I'm sure everyone's heard the buzz about this one. This isn't my normal type of movie, but it was something that I wanted to branch out and, check out and it really does have you know there's just powerful story that really not a lot happens in this movie but it's just intriguing and kind of keeps you invested in like what's going to happen next and what's really going on around this music composer or music um conductor and then the last one is a documentary and it's called this is Guar, and <laughs> I absolutely love this film. I'm I'm a moderate Guar fan. You know, I like a few Guar songs here and there, and I like what the band does. But this is just one of the most fascinating documentaries, and the you know covering every part of this band's existence, and it just really gets you into things you would never know about. And they get into some crazy stuff. I mean, this band 
um, truly is the spirit of DIY and doing things differently. And I just love this uh, documentary and how they portrayed the band. So those are my picks for number six. Yeah, I'll uh, back you on the gore. It just missed. My, it just missed my list, and it was fascinating because Dave Brocky's a real interesting guy, mm-hmm. and, and basically how they were art students, very much like Pink Floyd. They were art students who kind of just decided to combine their art with their passion for music, mm-hmm. and just made a go of it. And I'm sure Victor can probably fill in a, a few of the gaps on this one, but uh, yeah. Yeah I, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I was going to say, I really enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I worked with them for a while. Uh, the band, I went to a few of their shows. <laughs> they were all insane. Uh, Did you get and, squirted on? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. With they, blood, they, to clarify. They, well, there might have been well, other fluids. It, I was going to say, it wasn't always blood. <laughs> it tasted sugary. Mm. Um, yeah, well, putting it in your mouth is always recommended. Yeah, yeah. But, kind uh, of like pineapple. But yeah, yeah, they are they are wild. Uh, or or are, I mean, are they still together? Yeah, I think Without they Dave? are. I think they still do that barbecue every summer. <laughs> they used to at least. <laughs> so I think they're still together. But I, yeah, I don't know. I haven't listened to any of their new stuff. If they have any. Anyway, yeah, force force to be reckoned with in the in the universe. The universe does not know what hit it with Gore. And I absolutely concur with Trey because mine was also at number six, Metal Lords. Nice. Ah, yes. I was wondering and, why you weren't talking about it, Bill. <laughs> and and you know what? It's one of those ones, again, we reviewed on Phantom Galaxy, oh, whack a months back. But it was a lot of fun and it had that spirit, kind of like an updated version of School of Rock, but not exactly. And, and you're kind of, I love a film where you root for the underdog that isn't overly sappy this one you kind of relate anybody that was a a kid who wasn't part of the popular crew but you know they still liked what they like and you know you've got your outsiders you've got your female as part of the band you know you've got different levels of uh, love interests and you know it's very modern you know there's some very interesting posters in the guy's basement uh, there's some good use of uh, Black Sabbath and other bands in this in this uh, movie. Mm-hmm. I, I just ended up just really enjoying it more than I thought it would. I thought it'd just be a throwaway mid afternoon watch, you know, while it's raining on a Sunday afternoon or whatever. I really got into it. So uh, Metal Lords for anybody that hasn't seen it. Yeah, and I uh, forgot to mention Bill. What they did a good job with the tagline. I won't repeat it here because it's a quote unquote family show. But um, <laughs> but they do a good job for with a nice uh, Metallica reference in their tagline. So yeah. that is a fun fun movie. Um, so my number six is a movie that honestly, again, a, a factor that shows that this was a really strong year is that this movie is at number six. But this is Matt Reeves' The Batman. Uh, I know lots of different people had different takes on this, but for me, this was the Batman movie that felt like it was made for me in a sense. I've all, I've long said that the kind of movie I wanted to see was the detective aspect of Batman, a film that for me, I would have loved to seen it set in the 1930s that would have uh, reduced the need for cell phones and things like that. And kind of mm. put the focus 
particularly on the aspect of Batman, that he is a crime fighter. But there are other aspects, how you marry the concept of Bruce Wayne versus the persona of Batman, and how does that interact in, in a world where you have all these outsized characters and things like that. And honestly speaking, I mean, they made choices that I wouldn't have necessarily made or initially thinking about it, but I think this film is phenomenal. What it does is essentially is it takes and it tells a crime story. Lots of people have likened it to seven. That's true, but there's some, there's some Chinatown in here too. There's this element where Batman and all of these surrounding players, Catwoman and Falcone and, and these characters are orbiting a larger story and a larger world with a lot of different textures to them. And that there's an actual legitimate arc for Batman here. I really appreciate it. It moves it kind of so far away, I think, in some ways from the comic book story that for those of us who know the comics well, you know, some of that can chafe a little because you're comparing it to this and that. But as a standalone film, as a story that I don't even need to necessarily sequels see sequels to, I thought this worked as a drama. It worked as a mystery. It worked as a procedural. I, I really think Jeffrey Wright's version of Gordon in this film is phenomenal, and I love his interplay. And one of the things that I really dig about this is the last thing I'll I'll mention is the the aspect, even in the title there, it's The Batman. There's a sense of Batman uh, that was in the Tim Burton films of him being a freak. But everybody is a freak in a Tim Burton universe, so they all have that in common. But here, you get what it feels like for that guy to walk in wearing a rubber suit to a crime scene, and he's rubbing right up against cops and detectives. Mm -hmm. And that aspect, that otherness of Batman, and I thought Pattinson was a wonderful choice. Yes, there's emo 90s vibe all over this movie, but they leaned into it in such a way that I went with it, thought it was phenomenal, loved this movie, and I think it's, it's in my opinion, it's the Batman movie I like the most. That's not to take anything away from the other two that I really enjoy, that I think are also masterful, Batman Returns and The Dark Knight. But this one, for me, is the one I connected with the most. It's a lot of down to the fact they gave me characters I could be with in that film. So Yeah. I think between Top Gun Maverick and the Batman, uh, that gives me hope for the future of the cinema experience, because those are yes. both great experiences to watch in the theater. I can't believe this is as, as low as number six on your list, Nathan, the way you've Dude, talked I about this. I cannot either. <laughs> the, the, next, the next five are damn good movies. Poser. <laughs> I told you two through ten are almost basically tied for second place. Like, truthfully. <laughs> But yeah, that speaks to how good the movies are, not me being a flake. Not that I'm not a flake. But anyway, <laughs> Greg, what is your number five? And I got to say, we're doing awesome on time. My number five is my number one WTF of the movies of the year. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Everything, everywhere, all at once. Jamie Lee Curtis. And finally, finally, <laughs> I got to say it one more time. Finally, Mr. Key Hugh Kwan getting notoriety other than being Indiana Jones kid and Goonies stand up outstanding job. And I love this movie. This is the WTF moment all the way from Jamie Lee Curtis's hot dog fingers to you name it. Like this movie is bonkers. Like I, I don't know how to explain it. It's just a freaking bonkers movie that'll have you scratching your head. It'll have you, you know, probably taking a hit of acid. I don't know. It's, <laughs> it, you take a hit of acid watching it. It's somebody did that part for you, Greg. Oh my goodness, man. <laughs> but this is the number one WTF moment movie, but the number five for me. 
everything, everywhere, all at once. All the acting is outstanding. I mean, it's freaking phenomenal, but I love this movie. It definitely is all over the place. There, there is no yeah. doubt about it. Everybody wants hot dog fingers. Come on, man. But the hot dog fingers were great. Like They're almost like slapping each other with these long friggin' fingers. You do more hearts. than that with his fingers. What's wrong with you two? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes. Uh, Pearl, you're number five. My number five is I want to dance with somebody. I want to dance with somebody. Oh, I want to feel the heat. Oh, no. Bill's <laughs> <laughs> doing the spoken word version of it in the background. <laughs> it's like, it reminds me of like William Shatner was doing songs at one of the MTV Music Awards, and he was singing, I want to sex you up with a little bongo drum under his arm. Rocket man. <laughs> Rocket man. Oh. <laughs> I still haven't, se- I haven't seen this movie, and I really want to. Well, it's a must. I, yes. What I what I want to say about it is that what I appreciate about it is that it gets to the point, and I mean it does point out a little bit of her dark side, but it's mainly and most mostly focuses on her talent, and her voice, and her soul, and the person that she was. I mean, this was really done right, and it was done from the moment like she was young all the way, all the way to the end. Mm-hmm. So I do give this one a round of applause. Yeah, I, I sack it Pearl on this one. It didn't make my list, but it's an outstanding film that I, 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 if I had any negative reaction to was I still feel like Bobby Brown still has a little bit of his fingers in the, the, the production of this where they still don't throw everything toward him yet, but he's, still, yeah, he's a uh, protected a little there. You think? Oh, he's definitely protected. Oh, he's but, an angel, what it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I agree, guys. If you have not seen this one, man, it's it's outstanding. Really good. Okay. Victor, you're number five. Yes, sir. Moon Age Daydream. Uh, yes. This is, uh, yeah, the David Bowie. I hesitate to call it a documentary. I don't know <laughs> if I've ever told the story of when Blackstar arrived on my doorstep on this podcast, but. I mean, I have been a huge admirer of David Bowie for a long time. Um, Black Star was about to come out. I had pre-ordered it on Amazon. I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm checking my Twitter feed and it says David Bowie has died. And I was like, no, that can't be because I didn't hear anything about him being ill or anything. Right. And I check it out and it's true. In the morning, the album arrives. I mean... This is a man who was a showman to the very last day of his life. And that, I mean, that moves me to, I don't even, it's hard to put into words. Just check out this movie. Um, It's directed by Brett Morgan. Instead of the usual talking heads that you see on a documentary, it's, uh, it's a lot of concert footage. One of his finest concerts, which is, uh, you know, the, uh, Ziggy Stardust at the Santa Monica Civic, which sadly I was too young to attend. Um, but uh, Brett Morgan, like he made the Runaways movie. Uh, he's deep into music. And um, yeah, definitely check this out at home. Headphones on and uh, get get lost in the experience. Most of the most of the sound bites are basically like little bits of philosophy that Bowie was into. Like he's quoting philosophers or talking about his favorite book or 
his uh, ideas of, you know, how, wh- how artists perform and, and that kind of stuff. It's really great. It's, it's a little on the long side. It's over two hours. Definitely worth it. Fantastic music supervision. Um, I, yeah, I guess the, the music supervisors were, were the director Morgan and a woman named Kathy Carapella. Uh, and, um, man, I, I guess I'll end by just saying if Bowie were alive and he could somehow watch this movie, I think he'd be pretty happy with it. Yeah, you're right. It's an experience. I got to see this at the theater and it was one of the best theater experiences of last year, hands down. I don't have it on this list, but it's not so much it sits below it. It just kind of sits to the side of it. It's hard to really like characterize it exactly, but it is wonderful. And I think it's a wonderful almost distillation of the, the artistic essence of David Bowie, right? It's like you said, it's not exactly a a documentary biography. It's kind of a concert film almost in a way it's uh, the opening scenes. I mean, they're combining footage from science fiction movies and from, you know, all these different places. It's this wonderful collage that sort of encapsulates again, kind of his artistic essence in a way that I was kind of blown away by. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. Okay, Trey, you're number five. Yeah, so at this point, I wasted all my uh, good surprises on my three-way tie. <laughs> so um, I think everything else is probably going to be stuff that people have mentioned or will mention. Um, but my number five is Glass Onion. And yeah, I was a huge fan of Knives Out. I think that was close to, if not my favorite film of that year when it came out. And I think Glass Onion does a good job to mix things up and keep it fresh uh, while still having that same, you know, core strength that the first movie did. Um, I don't know about every year, like Greg was pushing for there, but you know, I'll take one of these every couple of years. Sure. Daniel Craig is amazing in this role. And um, yeah, the whole cast, I mean, you guys already talked about it, so we can, we can go ahead and move on. All right. You're passing the baton. Thank you, Trey. At number five, I'm not a Marvel guy. Never, not a superhero guy. Not a DC. If there's a superhero movie out there, I'm generally not going to go watch. But this one is a Marvel film. I hesitate to call it a film. I call it more of a production. Not necessarily in my wheelhouse, more fantasy. I really, really enjoyed it. It's Werewolf by Night. Oh, good one. And I really liked it. Like, I mean, I think it's 45, 50 minutes but the graphics, the way that it was created, the fact it had some black and white, it had some color. There was, uh, I mean, it's not a big spoiler to say that there's uh, creatures involved. Uh, possibly a uh, werewolf. Some, <laughs> possibly a werewolf. And actually, the use of the werewolf, I thought, was underplayed in the film. Yeah. I thought the like the journey through the maze that they went through there were a few twists along the way with allegiances and family issues. I really just had a ball with it. And for me to have a ball with a fantasy Marvel in that universe, that's saying something. So even though it's not going to be time taxing, which, you know, is a positive. I mean, it's less than an hour. It's your perfect it's length not, for a movie, 45 minutes. Exactly. For I think the official time is 52 minutes, and that's including <laughs> beginning and ending credits. I, I just, you know, I had a lot of fun with it. It's one you can, you're not going to watch with your young kids, but if you're going to watch it with someone who's above the age of seven or eight, who's got a good head on their shoulders, go right ahead. 
Um, I know you guys have all probably seen it. What did you think? It was my favorite Marvel thing that they did last year, honestly. Um, I agree, Bill. And Man Thing. They Not only was Man Thing in this movie, it was amazingly done in this movie. And it, uh, again, movie is maybe a little strong because it, it's relatively short, but it was, just, it was perfectly kind of poised to be this Halloween sort of release. And I think it nails that. It has that gothic, almost universal horror feel with the the black and white, but the pacing is on the way they introduce the characters. Yeah, it was, it was top notch. Yeah. I thought it was excellent as well. Really cool. Um, kind of different take from Marvel. It almost had a, almost a bit of that hammer feel with the Gothic and the creature and Mm -hmm. the old style type of uh, production. Alrighty. I guess, I guess we're going off to Mr. Morgan, Gregory. Wait, wait, don't you're bypassing me, Bill. (laughs) Oh shit. I'm sorry. (laughs) Bill's like, you already did two movies last time, so he doesn't get one this time. Yeah, yeah you've already, your limit is passed. Sorry, your limit. Your limit. Okay, so this is a movie that I had wanted to see the moment I became aware of it, but I, it was playing really only at an art theater near me, so I had to uh, wait, and then it kind of popped up on Mubi just recently, and that was why I got the, the subscription. And it is Park Chan-wook's Decision to Leave. And it's a film that, again, I was anticipating... But it blew me away, honestly, in the way that it was done. I'm a big fan of Park Chan-wook. Most people may be familiar with Old Boy. Uh, He's got a lot more uh, films to his name, all the uh, sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. Yeah. And he's a a great director. Uh, I'm just going to read the the letterbox synopsis just because some people may not be familiar with the film. Uh, Hey June, a seasoned detective, investigates the suspicious death of a man on a mountaintop. Soon he begins to suspect Suray, the deceased wife, while being unsettled by his attraction to her. Hmm. This, to me, the most interesting about this movie is sort of the restraint it shows in some of its more... uh, what would in a different movie be maybe more seedier aspects like decision to leave is almost like a Brian De Palma film. If you leached out some of the really like heavy sensual moments or the, let me, let me rephrase that leached out some of the heavy sex that might be in a De Palma movie and replaced it with a sensuality that runs pretty deep uh, in a, in almost a repressed sort of way. But the filmmaking on this I thought was amazing. And it has that element you see in a lot of Korean films where you've got this really kind of almost lighthearted, almost slapstick humor happening next to some really dark material. Uh, You know, some pitch black thematic things happening next to stuff that's just short of being a pratfall. Uh, Decision to Leave doesn't quite go there, but I was so impressed with the rhythm of the film and and there were shots that impressed me in the way that a palma film or a hitchcock film there's a lot of heavy style but they keep sort of sublimating that style to these characters and this relationship that has moments and nuances to it and the kind of nuance you would see in like a wong kar wai film and the atmosphere Mm -hmm. and the and the the subtle way that the story develops right down to the very final moments of the movie. I thought this movie really never stepped wrong and it, it caught me at one point and I just realized this is more than I thought I was getting into again, surface level to describe the plot. What doesn't give you a proper appreciation for how powerful the movie ends up being. I think it will haunt you when it's over. Yeah, it's a great modern noir. It's a, that's the Wong Kar Wai uh, comparison is really interesting. I, I, I agree. Um, and, you know, 
I guess the only thing I wanted to say about the 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 main the main two characters, uh, it's it's a, a woman who's a suspect in a murder and a, sort of an obsessive cop, and uh, it, it, you start to realize that the only way these two characters, which have like this volcanic chemistry between them, can connect is through the crime. And I never really had seen it done like that. It was very, uh, very cool. And yeah, like you said, the direction is right on point. There's a lot of amazing things he does with the camera. Every shot is beautiful. It's it's worth seeing for either of those two things. If those things turn you on, definitely check this out. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was a really good one as well. And how did I describe or pitch this one to you, Nathan? Was it like a an erotic thriller without, you know... <laughs> without the over the top sexuality. Um, but I, I think it just the way it plays out really sold it for me and cemented it as just this great film. Yeah. I really wanted to watch this. I just didn't get to it. And I still intend to watch because yeah, good director looks like a pretty good cast. The story's interesting. So yeah, I'll be seeing this within the next little while. Yeah. I think you'll really dig it, Bill. I think you'll, now, are there vibes of giallo-ish on an Asian level kind of thing? Not really. It, it definitely stays more, I think, in the Hitchcock because the murder at the center of it is not that kind of a murder. And then the rest of the film is really about the interplay between these characters. I think De Palma is probably one of the best uh, reference points. You know, you look at um, any number of De Palma movies, Blowout, Body Double. But again... It goes beyond that. So it's a if you take Vertigo and Blowout and Body Double and maybe combine them all, you're getting maybe closer to it. Throw a little Keystone Cops in there too. But um, uh, dark his, humor. his partner's one of the worst partners you could hope to have yeah. if you're a detective or a, a cop. <laughs> but um, yeah, Greg, what is your number? What are we, number four? Number four. Yeah, number four. I'm. This has already been mentioned, so I won't go into it in great detail or length. Uh, but it's the movie that we all wanted, and it's The Prey. Uh, Prey from uh, the Predator series. Man, I love this movie. Uh, we did a watch-along in the Facebook group, and it was so fun to watch this with the group. <laughs> I love it, man. I think the, the ooze, the green ooze is awesome. I love the story. I love the lead actress in this, the... Uh, main actress i think she was one of the highlights uh amber mid thunder i think one of the highlights of 2022 for me was her acting in this movie and uh just a great story pearl yeah, i can't you... argue with you there greg pearl what's your number four my number four has already been mentioned as well and it's the unbearable weight of massive talent <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I know it's predictable, but, you know, you had Nick Cage doing what he does best, making those crazy eyes and that weird Joker grin. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a hilarious movie, and I I, I think uh, Pedro Pascal and him worked well together. Yeah. I'll never forget <laughs> that Nicolas Cage alter ego that he has, the sort of evil one, who, which has the last name of Coppola, which I thought was kind of... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh, so good, man. I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. Victor, what is your number four? Oh, Emily the Criminal. Um, oh, nice. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, it's one. directed by John Patton Ford, young guy. He's only done like two movies. I don't even know what the other one is. And uh, I couldn't believe that uh, a director with uh, not 
that much experience directed this because it's extremely well directed tense the entire way through um it stars aubrey plaza who i'm sure most most people remember from parks and recreation she's a great supporting character um and in this movie she proves that she can be a lead she can handle every scene like if every scene focuses on her she can carry the movie i was in 100 percent. it's a crime thriller um and um yeah i guess the background for emily the the main character is that she's kind of a an in-debt casualty of the uh, college educational system where she's like she wants to get into the arts but she can never support herself she's also got a criminal record because of uh, bad temper and uh, she gets involved with some real crimes um, in this movie and you're sort of learning right along with her uh, what this extremely risky endeavor entails and um it also uh, features a guy named theo rossi who i like a lot uh, he was in luke cage and uh, army of the dead on netflix a couple of years ago um and they they really make a good pair uh and uh, they have good chemistry between them too so anyway yeah highly worth seeing uh it's a yeah crime thriller i guess um but yeah like loved it yeah i really enjoyed this it, it just missed my list uh, it, on my honorable mentions there's a scene I quite like where she has to forcibly take by her wits a, a vehicle. Oh yeah, yeah. And she and she has a certain time limit. I, I really like how that plays out. Uh, and you know, there's a, a, it gets you know pretty graphic towards the end of the film mm-hmm. uh, yeah. in in that sense. But you know, she keeps her head about her, and I'm not going to say any more. But uh, yeah, this one had a bit of grit and sandpaper to it. I really liked it. Yeah. Yeah, it was a surprise for me. I had heard about this one and wanted to watch it, but I didn't expect it to be so good. And I thought Plaza did a good job in it. So I really enjoyed Emily the Criminal as well. Yeah, it's great. It's a, uh, again, my honorable mentions, it's a uh, and it's a great showcase for her. Like you, like you said, Victor, it's a clear like demonstrating that she can she can hold her own as a lead and carry this kind of movie really well. Okay. Trey, what is your number four? Uh, My number four has already been mentioned, and it is All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, I'm a huge history guy, especially with the military-type stuff in the 20th century. And I've always been a big fan of the novel as well. So when I... I didn't even know this was coming out until I think after it dropped on Netflix. And when I checked it out, I was impressed. I think they did a good job of conveying just the hopeless desperation of World War One, and, you know, kind of fending off any thought of it being a glamorous war or anything more than just like a total disaster and waste of human life. So I think it did a good job of delving into that stuff while still giving you the military action. Um, yeah, I really liked it. Yeah, there's a scene with another soldier in a crater hole. Oh, yeah, that one's rough that will get you thinking about humanity. Let's just put it that way. Mm -hmm. All righty. So for number four is one, the movie that I have rewatched the most. And I literally just listened to it the other day. And that's a key to it. And this one is a music slash documentary slash experience. And it's one that is on Netflix It dropped about three months ago. We reviewed it on Phantom Galaxy. And that's Creedence Clearwater Revival, 
traveling band. Mm-hmm. And the first half an hour, 45 minutes is a documentary of the history of the band. And it gets into certain things. Unless you're a real hardcore fan, you probably didn't know. And then it goes to a show from 1970 live at the Royal Albert Hall in London. And it is absolutely phenomenal. And what you get out of it is, you know, if you're just a casual fan, you'll just like the music. Me being more of a hardcore fan, you really appreciate the skill level of the men. And you don't realize how good a guitarist John Fogarty is. And how a band who, when they went to England, and I know people from England that I ask about CCR, and they didn't quite cross over the, the, the pond. And for them to be able to enthrall a crowd at the Royal Albert Hall, which is one of these venues where you play in the middle and everyone else kind of surrounds the outside of you, you're going to be dancing and bopping away. And just even if you're not a huge fan of the band, just getting grossed in how quality, how tight the band is. And their final song, Keep on Chuglin, is just a thing of masterpiece. Mm-hmm you got to watch this film. If you like any music between 1960 and 1975, this is must see TV. Get, watch the movie, get the soundtrack. This is the one I probably will watch the most out of all of them. Buy the pajamas. Yeah. <laughs> Buy the pajamas. <laughs> I, I agree no. with, with Bill 100%. It is very enjoyable. Yeah, it's really good. This is another one Bill turned me on to. And it was just so much fun to watch. And uh, yeah, loved it. Whole family loved I, it. We had a great time. This is another one I didn't know about. And it seems like there's just an endless supply of music documentaries and music related films this year. So it's a good year for Victor, it sounds like. Yep. Okay. Well, my number four is a movie that I highly anticipated, but I wasn't really ready for just how much it impacted me. Uh, this variation on it this is a movie that's had many uh adaptations or translations over the years but this is Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio and uh we've covered it over on the Illustrated Fan recently where I reviewed it with Dave Becker and Karen Wagner uh and I just think this is a tremendous movie partially I am a huge fan actually of the Disney film uh the old Disney film it's got its issues uh I saw one's very young and and some of the nightmarish elements of Pinocchio come out pretty pretty clearly in that film. But this is a whole nother sort of beast. I watched it with my family. It left my daughter it, sobbing <laughs> by the end. And, and she's someone who who's watched some kind of lower level horror, lower level meaning like uh, movies that aren't extreme, but kind of gateway horror movies. And she saw Pinocchio and it really kind of uh, impacted her, impacted me as well. The, from just, uh, I don't want to talk too much because the plot does follow the basics of Pinocchio, but it does a couple of things that I wasn't really prepared for or didn't realize. One of them is setting this during uh, basically Mussolini's Italy and the, the the rise of fascism, and then so much so that Mussolini is a character in the film. And then adding elements of tragedy and trauma is the backstory involving Geppetto and a son before Pinocchio, the wooden boy, comes into the story. And then del toro really putting his stamp on this so this isn't just a kids movie this is another guillermo del toro film you could pair this movie with pan's labyrinth in a sense and the themes and the elements and the storytelling sort of integrity 
that are present in that movie and in The Devil's Backbone are present in this one. I was so impressed with how this comes across as a story, what it has to say about uh, your individuality and what makes you a person. And then what does love look like and how is that translated? One of the things I love about this is how how he twists and adapts the idea of Pinocchio's quest to be a real boy. Like, what is that really about? And how it plays out here, I think, was fascinating added to the fact that the characters are allowed to be multifaceted, that we don't have characters that are simply one way. Geppetto has some dark, rough-around-the-edges aspects to him. Even the classic Jiminy the Cricket, which is uh, Samuel J. Cricket here, he's different, and he has elements of his motivation that don't make him a one-note character, like a happy little character on your shoulder. Uh, And then the Pinocchio character, so wonderfully done, and if you took all that away and left just the animation alone, blew me away. Uh, mm. As someone who's a huge fan of like Ray Harryhausen, to see and and the stop motion that Leica does, to see it come to this point, to see a film so fully realized through this, to see scenes where they're inside of the church and the lengths that they went through to make this feel as tangible and palpable, amazing. I think this is a masterpiece in terms of uh, a film and as an animation. Yeah, I'm a huge Guillermo del Toro fan. And uh, yeah, I had the pleasure of working with him on a video game called Insane that unfortunately never came out. Yeah, that was a bummer. (laughs) Video game, yeah, I was really into it. Um, But uh, yeah, to the production meetings, uh, Guillermo would, you know, he would show up with a sketchbook and he would have the monsters all pretty much fully realized while, you know, the artists were taking notes and it's pretty incredible. And I think a lot of that, that style um, is evident here in Pinocchio, like the, the sort of angelic appearance of the fairy and and stuff. Like I thought, wow, that's really cool. And, uh, and honestly, the part of this movie that really got my heart was uh, Spazzatura. I, felt yes. so much for that character that it's choking me up even talking <laughs> I know, about we it, even remembering it. And then to find out who voices that character. I know. She had a great year, too. <laughs> Kate Blanchett. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's a memorable performance. Great character. And, uh, yeah, I really loved the movie. Yeah, definitely a darker take. But I thought it was really good. And it's another solid Guillermo del Toro film. I thought Ewan McGregor was great as the cricket in this. And was expecting. I knew nothing about this going in, so when I heard his voice to start the movie, I was like, oh, I'm going to buckle in now, but yeah. <laughs> it's got some highs and lows. You're going to laugh at certain parts, but you're also going to get choked up, so just be prepared if you're going in. And one of my favorite... Dave Becker was texting while I watched this movie. So one of my favorite texts from him was, yes, of course, fascists would want to send a little wooden boy to school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, okay, so... Wow, we are up to number three. Greg, what is your number three? Three Pied Pipers piping in. Nah, uh, my number <laughs> three, uh, already been mentioned, but a uh, big fan of the original and not a big fan of Tom Cruise, but it's Top Gun Maverick. I thought this movie was fantastic. If you're going to do a movie X amount of years later, this is the way you want to handle it. I think the, the in cockpit realism was amazing, like, I think they nailed it by allowing them to actually be in a cockpit. and You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that really helped this movie. Um, a little a little bit. A lot of bit of uh, um, 
uh, unrealism in some scenes, but it's okay. It's okay. It's an action flick. You can do that. Uh, but I thought Tom Cruise, man, he was great in this film. I was like, really like, holy crap. Uh, I actually enjoyed you in this one. You're one, <laughs> only, the only one that I've ever liked Tom Cruise in, basically. Like, I'm not a fan of his. Uh, but this one, he was really good. And uh, I thought the music, the take of it was great, and the story. Uh, I just, I had a blast, man. I just really enjoyed this film. I took a lot of the realism out of it and just watched it as an entertainment, and I was thoroughly entertained. Again, I hate Tom Cruise. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't like Brad Pitt. You don't like Tom Cruise. What are, what's your deal, Greg? Her, well, here it is. Like, her hatred toward Tom Cruise is my feelings toward Leonardo DiCaprio. But I will say this. <laughs> Tearing down A-listers. Yeah, all them A-listers. I just, I've never liked Tom Cruise as a person. Uh, But this movie, he was really outstanding in. So there you go, Tom Cruise. There's your two seconds of fame. All right. Go back to the hole. (laughs) (laughs) What a hole. Get back in the box. Get back in the box. Don't come back out until I tell you again. Cool hand. Puts the lotion on the skin, Tom. (laughs) It was nice of you guys to give a little little bit of props to that up and coming actor, Tom Cruise. Yeah. 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 Oh, my God. Yeah. I I will say that I can probably tolerate him a little more than DiCrapio, but it's still pretty bad. (laughs) Hey, number three for you, Pearl. My number three makes me want a cheeseburger. (laughs) 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 And it's called the menu. Just a well-made cheeseburger. (laughs) Well-made cheeseburger. It did did look good. Oh, my god! Oh, it did. Yeah. (laughs) Minus all the onions and stuff. Go ahead. (laughs) Well, I mean, this one was pretty good. I mean, you got a nice cruise going to an island. You got a weird tour. You got an anticipation for the menu, combination for suspense and a dark comedy. And what even better and best was Anna Taylor-Joy. Oh, yeah. She was in three great movies this year. Be still, my heart. (laughs) (laughs) I I just love how everything unfolds in this movie and and the plot twist. And it was a good movie and good food for thought. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anna, Anna Taylor Joy is or Anya Taylor Joy is quickly becoming my favorite female actress out there right now. Oh yeah, like, Same have you ever have, have you ever seen her poocher role? No. Like, like have you ever seen her mail it in? Absolutely not. Like she is so strong in everything she does. You know, like you see her in The Northman, mm-hmm. and then you see her in The Menu. And you see her in her umpteen movies before. She wasn't even There's phoning no- it in in the New Mutants, and she was the only one not. <laughs> <laughs> you but. can't ever watch a film where you say you couldn't keep your eyes off her. You know she's a, she she is a such a strong actress that I would love to see her stretch herself a little bit more and just take some of those leading roles. I think it'll be very soon that she's up for best leading lady in the Oscars. You need to I check did- out the yeah. Queen's Gambit on Netflix, Bill. I think, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's where you can yeah, see she's, her she's stretch. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but man, every every element, this was on my best of horror movie list, and every actor player in this was so good, I think, for where they were supposed to be. Of course, Ray Fiennes was great, but like Nicholas Holt, I think Nicholas Holt is always that guy that like, 
he gets the thankless job sometimes, but he's so good at that kind of the guy, again, the character who's not quite aware of how much of a bastard he really is. <laughs> when he gets put into a certain, when he gets put in his place in this film and the, and the, and the resultant tagline on his dish was perfect. It's very satisfying. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I agree. Uh, yeah. Ray Fiennes is uh, transcendent in this movie. I think he has just the right amount of charisma, authority, and uh, contempt. Uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, but man, yeah, he is scary in this movie. Um, but yeah, it was it was great. Yeah, and I'll I echo really, everything. I, I, a great movie. Yep. Sorry, go ahead, Bill. I was just going to say, I really liked Reed Bernie in this role. Yeah. You know, oh, just, yeah. Just kind of the side guy, you know, and him and Judith Leiter bickering back and forth. And he's got a little more of a role to play than you realize until the end, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. It, 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 it harkened me back to camping. <laughs> <laughs> Trey, what is your number three? I think it's Victor, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, you're right. Uh, I'm my... so sorry. Victor, you're number three. You, you pulled a bill. I yeah, no, it's okay. My number, my number three was Top Gun Maverick. Um, yeah, I, I guess what it early in the movie. Um, there's there's a scene in a bar, and um, it's a little silly where it's like you know the Air Force guys start coming in and they're like, "Hey, where's the stealth pilot?" And then he's like, "I'm here," and he's like, "Nobody knows when you're here," or something. <laughs> <laughs> just, I thought it was like, what? What is the like? Is this movie yeah. really making fun of itself? Or, but, um, but it, no, it, it really does become a rote um, sequel to Top Gun, uh, and it totally uh, nails it. Uh, and um, I mean, just think about that: making a sequel to a beloved movie forty years later and nailing it—very, um, very tough to do. I think you have to do everything absolutely perfectly. Um, and it does have heart, uh, again, John Hamm, <laughs> great ear, uh, has a, a great scene. He's, he's like a tough as nails sort of CO, uh, in charge of the mission and the way he says, release them when the, the, the pilots, uh, get sent out on this probably fatal mission is memorable. It's, uh, it's really good. And uh, yeah, I had weird history of this movie where I saw it in the back of a car. I saw it without sound. What? Uh, I saw it, I saw it, I had like the worst <laughs> cinematic experience possible. I missed it in the theater. I saw half of it in a car uh, in, in, a, in a lift ride uh, in Los Angeles. And then I, I, I liked enough about the images that I rented it when I got home. And uh, I was like, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> it's, it's as good as everybody said it was. See, my, my question is, if I got chucked on the sand for not paying my bill, I wouldn't go back and pay it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you got chucked on the sand, though, by Jennifer Connelly, you might go back. Anyway. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I might. There, she, she was the Kelly McGillis character in this one. I guess so, yeah. It is an upgrade, in my opinion. Victor, you just yes. went. So, Trey. <laughs> it's your turn. I was going to let Victor go twice instead of letting Trey go at all. Yeah, um, go ahead and introduce my number three, Victor. Well, well. Oh, the thing is, I think Trey's going to do Top Gun again, right? No, it's a yeah. six-way tie. <laughs> yeah. I don't have that many movies left. No. Um, no. Speaking of Anya Taylor Joy, my number three is The Northman, nice. and this is just one that 
I'm a huge fan of this kind of, um, you know, Viking stories. And I don't think this shies away from what the Viking culture really was. It's not necessarily a <laughs> rosy picture of what happened there. But I think everyone in this movie um, plays an excellent role. I mean, there's so many great actors in this movie and it's just hardcore. It's brutal and it's not necessarily going to go where you think it is in the end. Um, you know, if you're looking for large scale Viking battles or anything, you're probably not going to get it. If you're looking for volcanoes, <laughs> you might. So I just really enjoyed the Northmen. Um, my top three have stayed in my top three for a lot of the year. So you, you, you didn't mention not only was there volcanoes, there was naked men fighting in front of volcanoes. I was leaving something to the imagination, Bill. <laughs> I don't Trying to reel them in, you know. Bill's not going to let anyone get away with knowing there were naked men in this film. Naked men? No, no, no. I love my sword and sandal films, so naked men are all up my alley, right? Okay. So, Bill. All right. My number three is one that I went into. I had heard of it, but I didn't really know much about it. Because typical of me, I don't watch trailers. I don't watch, read reviews generally before I see a film. But the actors intrigued me. The story kind of intrigued me. I ended up just loving the bloody film. And it was My Neighbor Adolf with David Heyman and Udo Kier. And you're used to seeing Udo Kier in thriller, action, horror, war films. This one kind of took him outside of his comfort zone for the most part, especially as an older actor. Udo Kier has to be in his mid-70s now, yeah. at least. And it's about Udo Kier is a Holocaust survivor. And he's living in this remote village. And he has a neighbor right beside him, David Heyman, who he suspects as being a guard in the concentration camp that he was stayed at. But it's not as dark necessarily as you might think. I like to say it combines rear window with grumpy old men. <laughs> and, and that's really what you're getting here. It's a character study because Udo is trying. Oh, sorry, not Udo. Sorry. I take that all back. Heyman is the one that was in the concentration camp. And he thinks Udo was one of the guards. Mm. And so Heyman is doing his best to try to spy on him to try to get the goods on him. He goes through the various levels of finding out information about him. And Udo is just actually quite a pleasing character. You're used to seeing him as a miserable SOB, or you're used to seeing him as the tough guy with a gun or, you know, trying to ping off some kind of monster or something. He ends up being quite an ingratiating character, a curmudgeonly ingratiating character. And it's almost an interplay. It's a character study amongst the two for 90 minutes. And by the end of the, the film starts is you're going to either really like one guy or the other. By the end of the film, you feel really warm and fuzzy. And I didn't expect that from this film. So if you like to see David Heyman kind of as this paranoid survivor and Udo Kier as theoretically a Nazi but turns out that he might not, or he may be. Yet they kind of come together as enemies slash people with things in common that kind of draw them together. I say give my neighbor Adolf a watch. 
Yeah, I haven't seen it, but it does sound really cool, especially for Udo Kier. Yeah, I've had it on the list for a bit, and I uh, I haven't seen it either. And uh, yeah, you're right. Udo Kier theoretically playing a Nazi is a little weird because normally he's just straight up a Nazi in most of his film. <laughs> Yeah, like, like this could have been, you know, these same two actors who are veteran actors could have played, you know, these kind of characters as young men, you know, 35, 40 years ago in films. But to see them as men in their 70s, you know, you kind of get that chasing Nazi feel. You kind of sold it to me with the rear window meets grumpy old men, to be honest. I'm intrigued. The same way, yeah. How a yeah. movie with that premise could exactly work. So I am definitely, definitely intrigued by that. Um, okay, so... So my number three, it's film I saw at Sundance last year uh, in 2022. Uh, it is a sci-fi movie, but done in a in a kind of subtle way that, that makes it in some ways to me more compelling. It is called After Yang, directed by Kogo Nada, and it is stars, again, Colin Farrell. <laughs> Colin Farrell's now been in three movies in my top ten. And uh, like Victor saying, he had a phenomenal year. I think he's amazing in this film. Uh, I'm going to read the synopsis because, again, I assume it's a film that many people may have missed or haven't seen. Uh, when his young daughter's beloved companion, an android named Yang, malfunctions, Jake searches for a way to repair him. In the process, Jake discovers the life that has been passing in front of him, reconnecting with his wife and daughter across a distance he didn't know was there. That's a, you know, that's definitely kind of boilerplate uh, written summary, but it gives you a basic flow for the film. It takes place in a future that is rendered very realistically, and the cinematography, the acting, even the structuring of the film are made to sort of underplay the science fiction, which I think is an interesting choice. So while this has elements of a story where you've got these androids existing in society and in this case they've adopted this young girl and they want to provide a link to her culture by getting her this android that uh, reflects who she is and her culture the culture that she comes from is a fascinating idea but then there's a question of who was this android before he was here and and uh, does that matter? Again, we get into these questions of what it means to be human. It is a classic trope of these stories involving artificial life. But this is one that firmly, you know, instead of it using this to become a thriller, because there are elements where this could go that way, where what is the information that's inside of this android's head? Uh, could it lead could it lead to a mystery or could it lead to some cataclysmic uh, truth that Colin Farrell might unfurl? But that's not what this movie is. It's a movie that does kind of have a finger pointing us, pointing back at us. Uh, and it's not about the technology, but it's about the humanity. And I think that is sold so perfectly through, particularly Colin Farrell here in, a, in one of his most, maybe his most, understated performance i've seen him do uh and he's done a lot in in movies that can be very surreal movies like the lobster and killing of a sacred deer where he's got to underplay the strangeness of the universe and here it he's he's trying to sell us on this world that could feel very much like reality and uh i was blown away by it i think that as another movie to me didn't step wrong it is a kind of the gentle other side of the coin to Blade Runner, a huge Blade Runner fan. And to see a movie like this that sort of approaches those same themes on the all the way to the opposite side of the room emotionally was captivating to me. So 
I can't recommend this one enough. If you're a science fiction fan, see After Yang. Yeah, it was great. Okay, we are killing it. Number two, Greg. (laughs) (laughs) My number two was my number one for most of the year up until two nights ago, and another movie took it. Uh, But my number two is Robert Eggers' The Northman with Alexander Skarsgård and Taylor Joy. Man, this movie in the theater was such an experience. Like, it blew my freaking mind. Uh, the action, the the story, the even the slow moments, which you're going to get with Robert Eggers, everything about it, man, was freaking phenomenal. Great storytelling. All the way to CGI uh, naked body fight. <laughs> <laughs> I told it. I told it. Uh, I, I was going to say, weren't they really bronzed? Man, they look sexy, man. There you go, Raul. I said it. I said it, Raul. Uh, I loved it. I loved this movie, man. I freaking love this movie. It's another masterpiece by Robert Eggers. It's very, very metal. <laughs> yeah, very yes. metal. Uh, I love Skarsgård in this role, too, man. It was Ethan so Hope, too, man, for a little but bit Ethan, of screen time. Yeah. And, and, and did you, I was going to say, did you catch Willem Dafoe? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, the cast is outstanding. It's just, I think the musical score is haunting. I love that, uh, which is great. I think Robert Eggers has found his niche in doing uh, period pieces, uh, which is phenomenal. I just, I absolutely love it, man. He is, he is to me, the, the filmmaker of the decade, man. I mean, it's just like phenomenal. And his thing is making period pieces. I think we've talked about this before. Period pieces that aren't designed to reflect the accuracy of the world, but to reflect the world the way the people living in it at that time would have seen it. You know, Puritans would have been afraid of everything that's in the witch for real. You know, oh. Vikings would have talked about this world the way you see it in the Northmen. You know, it's not reality. It's the it's the myth in their heads. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Great stuff, man. Great stuff. Oh, Robert Eggers, give us another masterpiece. I don't know how he does it, but he's he's tremendous. Okay, Pearl. Right. You're I was, I was, sorry, I was just gonna. Sorry, I was just gonna oh, say. Does anybody know what he has coming up? Like he must have something in the hopper. Uh, I have no clue, but whatever it is, oh, I'll, yeah, his, I do. Yeah. Um, isn't he doing Nosferatu? Oh, he is doing Nosferatu. Oh, yeah, you're right. right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, there he is. Um, is that his yeah. next one? Is that the 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 direct next? I direction? would assume. I think it's 2024, isn't it? Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I know it, it was. It was back and forth for a while. It's one he's been trying to get made for a bit. So, yeah, don't quote me on that, but I thought I saw something the other day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, as soon as you said it, I was like, "Yeah, that's the one." <laughs> I did remember that. Great stuff. Great stuff. Yeah. He is on a roll for sure. He's three for three okay. in my book. Oh yeah. Okay, Pearl, you're number two. My number two has also been mentioned. Um, it's the Fablemans. Nice. For, yeah, for me, I love this. I, I love how it pays tribute to the love for his films and how it uncovers dark family secrets. And I mean, this movie was emotional from pretty much from start to end to me. Mm-hmm. I, I just love how, how it all came together. And for me, it's very um, worth the watch. <clears throat> yeah, it's great. It, that, there's that scene where he take, take he's put together a film or pieces of film. And when he shows his mother, takes her in and lets her sit down and watch it. Like Ooh. that, that scene. That was <laughs> that was mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, not not what not what she was expecting, not what we're expecting. I think either in that moment, but um, yeah. well, it was that whole build up right before that moment too that had been happening for days or yes. however long. You know, his realization of it, the, how the film, yeah. like he sees it, he comes to the truth once he sees it through that projector, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which is which is very cool, um, and 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 uh, in the context of that film, is very emotional moment. Okay, uh, Victor, your number two. Uh, number two, I think we already said everything that needs to be said. Uh, the Banshees of Inisherin. Nice. Okay. Trey, your number two. Uh, my number two is one that I'm surprised hasn't been mentioned more, but it is the Batman. And I knew as soon as the, you know, the Nirvana song kicks in and he's driving through the city and the title comes up that this was going <laughs> to be for me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just really enjoyed this take on it. I loved that they included... Maybe I mean, there's still the action there for sure, but I think there's more of the slower paced detective elements of this trying to solve the crime of, you know, who is the Riddler? Why is he doing all this? How to stop him? And uh, there's just fantastic performances all around. I mean, again, Colin Farrell, unrecognizable for most of this film. And yeah, I just really love the Batman. I think it's the probably one of the best things that Warner brothers has done with their DC films. And it's right up there. Um, I don't think it will surpass the dark Knight for me, but just an excellent film. Agree. Yeah, it was, uh, it's amazing. And, and I, I didn't mention back when I had mentioned, but Zoe Kravitz was a phenomenal Catwoman. I could easily watch an entire film following that character alone. All right. So my number two has been mentioned once already, and I was blown away. I didn't think I would enjoy it this much. And that's Dio dreamers never die. The documentary on Ronnie James Dio. Yeah. And because when I started it, I thought, okay, this is just going to be a typical rock doc. You know, you kind of get your, you know, this happened then this album was released then this amount of records, you know, broken marriage, whatever, whatever this starts out, you know, you kind of get where his background is from and you quickly become to understand that it's a character study and for a man that stood five two five three, the man had a powerful voice. Mm-hmm. Loyalty and family was important to him. The amount of bands that he had to go in and out of, and by the end, you almost shed a tear in this, and you kind of see the man that he was because at a certain point in the early '90s, his style of music had fallen out of fashion. You know, he he went from having a big record deal to having to take smaller deals. And his record sales were going down. And then he had a resurgence getting back together with the Black Sabbath boys. And you really see him churn his way through the industry and never keep a good man down. He just kept on being true to himself. Honesty was, but it also showed it was pretty even handed. It showed his warts. It made references to the fact that he was a bit of a tyrant at times, but he felt he had dealt with that as the second guy in rainbow behind Richie Blackmore. And then he began to take control of the wheels when he kind of spread his wings a bit. And I really think it's, it was just a phenomenal movie in terms of showing a lot of the stuff behind the scenes that in most rock documentaries kind of gets pushed aside. And I think anybody that likes a hard rock, heavy metal, the music industry, or just a character piece of, kind of the underdog with the Napoleonic complex, making it in the world of entertainment. I think it's well worth a watch. 
Absolutely. And, you know, I learned from that movie that uh, Don Coscarelli directed the Last in Line video, which I never knew, which was my first exposure to Dio in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's there's actually interviews with Coscarelli in this. Yeah. Coscarelli taught, he wrote, Coscarelli wrote a book a few years ago, and he talks about working on that video in there. And that's sort of like, uh, was one of the things I was wondering, was he going to pop up when uh, when the movie happened? And that was cool that he did, so... And when uh, Jack Black and uh, his band, you know, had their movie going, they were like, wouldn't it be cool if somebody kind of like Ronnie James Dio jumped through the door? Yeah. Like, Why don't we just ask Ronnie yeah. James Dio to go jump through the door? Yeah, yeah. I love Tenacious D in the Pick of Destiny, but um, I think Jack was right. Uh, the the one flaw that movie has is that the first five minutes, which featured Dio and that song, is better than the rest of the movie. <laughs> Yeah, well, they're throwing a whole bunch of stuff at the wall during that movie, <laughs> and the stuff that yes. sticks sticks, and the rest just slides into a big puddle. <laughs> but still, still a fun movie, in my opinion. But yeah, yeah. Okay, All so right. I was going to say, Nathan, what you got for your runner-up? So my number two, which eh, really, again, any other year, this is the number one. This is Tar, and. Um, I suspect it may rear its head again, so I'm not going to say too much right now. Uh, but Kate Blanchett, like, there is Todd Field's great director. He hasn't directed that many movies, sadly. Uh, he, he came out of the gate within the bedroom, then he did Little Children. Both of those are wonderful films. And then there really wasn't another movie until Tar. And man, it kind of like, you know, it makes up for that. It's, uh, it's so well conceived. You walk into this movie, and if you didn't know that Lydia Tarr is not a real person, there is everything in the film to convince you that she is. You know that, she, or that this is a this is a biopic, right? And it, it's still a biopic. It just happens that Lydia Tarr doesn't actually exist in the real world, and uh, in some way, she's a composite of different people. And I think because of that, and some of her character traits and character flaws. That uh, that that's caused some people to to it was ruffled some feathers. But here's the thing: the filmmaking on this is phenomenal, and there's so many different avenues this movie goes down. And it presents a character who is very deeply flawed, and is also a character you're not necessarily going to fall on the side of agreeing with. And it's not so much that they're trying to gain sympathy, but it humanizes this character in such a way that the experience of watching this movie and being put into the shoes of many of these characters is almost a hundred percent immersive. For one thing, look at the world, this conductor world uh, and this musical world that they present. Uh, even if you're someone who doesn't know much at all about it, you're sort of ushered right into it and uh, consumed by it. And at the same time that that is happening, you have this very precise portrayal by Chet, who makes you believe for all the world this is a real living breathing person on screen and there's another element of this film i'm not going to say that it veers into horror but it goes down it, it it flirts at the edges of psychological drama right that that things are happening to her that are another level to this movie that the movie probably didn't even need to go down but the way it weaves that back in and it takes it and takes something that seems disparate that is on the other side brings it back in phenomenal on a, a, a masterpiece film uh i've seen it twice now I'd, i i'm looking forward to seeing it again uh the job that kate blanchett had again uh is and and she delivers on it tremendously best best piece of work i've ever seen her do absolutely yeah um 
it's a it's a consummate performance. I would be shocked if she doesn't get the Academy Award for Best Actress. Uh, and um, yeah, one one comment I wanted to make about the movie was just that um, you know the score is uh, Hildur Goodness. I can't pronounce her last name. Sorry, but uh, Good Goodna I think is uh, she's uh, she was uh, I think she was the the right hand person of Johan Johansson. Um, for a long time. And then she scored uh, that Chernobyl miniseries on HBO. And I think she won the Oscar last year for something. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, fantastic, fantastic performance. And the, uh, the score, I mean, th- there's, there are a lot of uh, classical music pieces that are featured in this movie. Um, but the score is very, is, is uh, mixed very low in, in the, the soundtrack of the movie and it almost is like this is tar's music because she's i mean her main job is a conductor and i think this is where the conflict in the character stems but she's also a composer she's also an artist that needs to create and she's crushing that down so she can maintain her power as a as a main conductor yeah. in in europe and i think that's the soundtrack that's playing like Goodna Daughter's uh, music is, which is, that's what she's performing at the very end, the very last scene. Like that's the music that is like needs to come out of her, but, but she's crushing it down and she can't quite hear it. And neither can we in, in the movie. It's, it's very subjectively shot. It's brilliant, brilliant technique. Yeah, that's a good insight. And it, and that, that really uh pairs well with the psychological stuff you know that that's happening and man what a fantastic final shot on that film oh wow oh okay (laughs) we are here number one and uh, i'll point out we're at two hours and 21 minutes so not not yeah something doesn't feel right here do we need to add (laughs) another segment in this oh don't worry my 50 honorable mentions will drag us out to a cool cool three and a half um Okay, Greg, what's your number one movie of 2022? Number one. That's been mentioned multiple times. I watched it two nights ago. Blew me away. It is Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans. This movie touched me in so many different directions in the soul that it was just amazing. Uh, I felt like a kid, that kid, without being a filmmaker. I felt like that kid when I felt my love for horror i felt like that kid when i felt my love for music i felt like that kid with every avenue of my life man i absolutely loved it i thought the acting is phenomenal the story is strong uh oh my god this is such a masterpiece at at filmmaking great film number one watched two nights ago northman had it i'm sorry northman sorry robert eggers steven spielberg coming there and knocked you in the jaw buddy and said here's the fablemans uh man this is amazing great film another great final shot too final you know bit the final yeah. scene's great but then the final shot of the, of the of that whole yeah. scene is wonderful the the quote at the end of the movie and i won't say it but i thought of dr shot dave becker uh, <laughs> on dvd infatuation when he had pastor matt talking about john wayne and but anyways i'm not going to spill it or anything but there was a quote that Dave mentioned in a book, and that quote ends up in this movie. And I'm like, yeah. I text Dave immediately. So I'm watching blah, blah, blah. You got to watch this movie. You're going to know exactly what's going on. 
<laughs> yeah, I did too. And he's like, oh yeah, that was excited. It. <laughs> yeah. I felt like this movie was Dave. Like I felt like the kid was Dr. Shock growing up. I'm like, this is Dave Becker with his love of cinema. Like Steven Spielberg listened to DVD infatuation or something. I don't know. Well, I think that's the thing is like when you watch this and as a movie fan, that kid's sort of all of us, you know, and I think that's something Spielberg hasn't done in a long time is connect that connect you back to feel like that's that, that you can relate to that. And what was cool now that you mentioned it's the number one, uh, a couple things is seeing the pieces of, because uh, years ago, uh, early on in the, the life of this podcast, I did a series on Spielberg's fantastical films. So the, not all of his movies, but all the ones feature fantastical elements. And as I was researching for that, I came across bits of this story of him growing up and the stuff with his family and his mother and his introduction into the film. And it was interesting to see how all of those pieces of those relationships found their way into ET and close encounters. And you see him pairing that here, you know, he makes these reference points and you realize, oh, well, this this is reminiscent of what was happening in Close Encounters or reminiscent of E.T. You could see the DNA, right? Like uh, even in something like Raiders of the Lost Ark, I thought that was a masterful element there. Yeah, yeah, the Boy Scouts. Yeah, yeah. It's cool. And, you know, I, I myself am the, the, the offspring of immigrants. And I thought a lot of the... Uh, the story of of the the young fableman, the main character, was that struck very um, very personal to me because I was you know sort of a you know the the child of people that came from a different country and and uh, in my case it was Cuba but um, you know I I was also nerdy growing up so I really identified with the character and uh, it helped. Yeah, there's that bit when he unveils the film he's made and the re- and the reaction that it has and what he's doing with it, I thought. And then there's a line, well, maybe it just made the movie better. <laughs> um, what, a, what a wonderful response. Well, maybe it just made a better movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, Greg. Pearl, what is your number one movie? My number one movie I just can't have fallen in love with. Mm. <laughs> and it's Elvis. Oh, yeah. Now the ending is quite a bit of tearjerker, but I mean, honestly, this movie did focus a lot on Tom Parker. But once it got to the spotlight on Elvis, it was all magic from there. I mean, the guy who played him, Austin. I mean, he didn't look like him, at least in my opinion, but he did play off his mannerism very well, and that's what was perfect for me. And um. I mean, this is such an enjoyable movie. I mean, it's sad, of course, everything that he got put through, but his talent continues and it still lives on, and it's a great movie to watch. Yeah, good, good, good pick, Pearl. And it really does pick up after that first, like, 20. Once you get into the Elvis stuff, it's like, boom, that's when the match strikes. Okay, Victor, what's your number one movie? Oh, yeah, number one, Tar. And, uh, yeah, after I saw the movie... You know, I looked up the director and um, Todd Field played the character of Nick Nightingale in Eyes Wide Shut. For He's real? He's an actor as well. Yeah. Um, f- weirdly, also a musical character. So yeah. He's been connected with music his whole life. And um, yeah, that's him. Uh, and yeah, I mean, Eyes Wide Shut's probably my favorite erotic drama of all time. And um, I think uh, he took some some uh, some lessons from Kubrick because a lot of the movie yes, like the yeah the, the, 
in that super wide format, like the way you see the repeating forms and stuff, that's really reminded me of Kubrick a lot. But um, but anyway, it's a great film in his own right. Uh, and yeah, I, I was a huge classical. I, I mean, I've been I've been a huge classical music fan my whole life, uh, and that was the only thing that made me go. I don't think Tar's real, you know. Um, and I think that I wish I had known that going into it uh, because it starts to get more and more unlikely that this is a biopic as it goes on. Um, yeah, but. Uh, I just thought I'd mention it so that if anybody listening to the show is interested in watching the movie and um, thinks that uh, she may be real uh, or based on a real person, I, uh, I think it's better that it's better that she isn't. And I think that's what's yes. so cool about fiction in general is that you can you can create a character that's fictional and really show just what that struggle of wanting to be an artist with needing to be a person in power entails. And, and I think the fact that they make it, a make the character a woman and a lesbian is, uh, makes, makes her more sympathetic in some ways. Uh, but I think also if it had just been a white guy, uh, it would have been easy to just go, Oh, you know, it's a me too movie and Tar's the villain. Um, but that's not really true. Uh, she, she really is the protagonist of this movie and like I said before, it's very subjective, um, but it's easier, I think, to see in, in, in the struggles that she obviously had to deal with growing up. It's easier to see why she chose the path of power and why she chooses to hang on to it at any cost. And uh, that's what's so disturbing and brilliant about this this movie. Um, but yeah, also from an audio file standpoint, the, mu- the this movie's incredible it starts out like in mono, like with the yeah. interview scene. <laughs> and he starts like layering tracks onto the soundtrack until at the end, it's like a full orchestral performance of Mahler's fifth. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's an incredible work of art, this movie. So yeah, highly, highly recommended. And how compelling is that opening, like opening scene and is so much of it is her just having the interview, right? That feels right. all the world like this, this is what it would look like to, to watch this interview on you know like uh on a pbs or something like that or on a the you know the the accompanying dvd that would be attached to this box set of music or something but uh it was fascinating yeah absolutely and i think the film does such a great job of having this character who does despicable things and all this and but you still kind of like her and you still kind of feel for her as we get to know what lies deeper beneath the skin and I think this film just does a masterful job of that. Yeah, for sure. So Trey, what is your number one of 2022? Um, This is probably the weirdest number one I think I've ever had. (laughs) (laughs) And it's your fault, Nathan. I hope Um, so. (laughs) There's there. Well, there's three movies that we've already talked about that if you went into this year and said, I was going to enjoy these films just on a base level, seeing the trailer, I would have said no, and you know that I doubted you on this one, but I went and saw it, and it's everything everywhere all at once. It's just a, it's got a heartwarming core to it, and it really is an uplifting movie, I think, in the end. Even when you wade through all the craziness, and it's not to say the craziness isn't good, because I think the craziness just helps to draw you in further, but... 
have we seen a movie like this that has got so much mainstream attention that has a scene where two rocks are talking in subtitles to each other? I mean, the no. creativity is just off the, <laughs> the creativity or a, or a, of this or a martial arts charts. butt plug fight. Uh, well, yeah, that's. <laughs> I'm sure Bill's seen one or two of those on Tubi. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> yeah, but you know, hot dog. Hot dog fingers aside, because that's probably the one scene that makes me uh, drop this down from a perfect score. But I really love this movie um, the whole way through. And there's just so much creativity. The Daniels have put so much, you know, creativity and emotion and everything else into this and made it somehow relatable with all this crazy stuff going on. So I absolutely love this movie. And this is my number one of the year. Very, very cool. One thing I didn't say about him, I loved seeing James Hong. I, I just like him as an actor. He's been in so many mm-hmm. quirky films. I always think of him as the guy in the Chinese uh, restaurant episode on Seinfeld. Seinfeld, yeah. <laughs> but he's been in so many over the years. And I mean, he has to be 80 years old. And, yeah. But he's, and I heard that, you know, in this one, he had some mobility issues. He's not as, you know, adept as he once was. But he gives one heck of a performance, and his face—he can tell a story just on the inflection of his face. Yes, and the guy's great. And I also thought Jamie Lee Curtis wasn't too bad in this either. Yeah, I, I think yeah. Uh, she's great. I mean, I, I think uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is getting a lot of attention for the movie, which it makes me a little sad because I thought Stephanie Sue, who plays the yes. daughter, yeah. was fantastic fantastic mm-hmm. absolutely uh, she was probably my favorite character in the movie but yeah i i like i mean i did like them all they were all very very enjoyable lovable characters um and uh yeah very uh, fun fun movie and I, I quite like the story of michelle yo i guess she just won a golden globe and she was given her yeah. speech and they were trying to shut her down with the music and she was like shut up i got a minute to go this is my only chance to say this speech i'm gonna say it yeah what she, she made what- them wait what she said was, please shut up. I can beat you up. I'm serious. <laughs> <laughs> but she said it in such a pleasant, sweet way. And she's moved on and talked for another minute and a half. Yes, man. And they, and they waited for her. <laughs> she, they did indeed. Good on them. All right. So my number one is be, will be a bit controversial. And you'll understand why. And it's Piggy. And most <laughs> Most people have this as a horror and I'm not going to argue with you. I mean, I'm not the gatekeeper. If you think it's a horror, I just got more of the thriller vibe with a very violent ending, but essentially it's the story of someone who is being picked on and you know, they're the victims of the popular kids, not liking her. She's a larger girl, you know, and she witnesses something. And it's how the story plays out. There's the tension. There's the people that are, you know, do you feel for her as being bullied? Or do you not like some of the moral decisions that she took along the way? And the ending, yes, the ending is quite stark. And it's that last 10 minutes that some people will have it flip over to horror. I I still had it in that thriller universe. But then, I mean, that's a universal argument. It, it did get bloody. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And But I just thought the acting was so strong. I thought the story was universally 
you can sit and understand if you are ever not the popular kid, if you're ever the one that like, I'm a bigger guy. I've had some weight issues over the years. I wasn't part of the popular crew. You totally feel for the character and you get yourself right in there. And whether you agree or disagree with their actions, you can get into her mindset and understand them. And that's what I loved about this film. You get into the characters and you put yourself in the role of her in that last 10 minutes. And you think it's going to go one way and it goes another. And that's what I loved about this film. Yeah. yeah. I'm just glad that you have it at the top of a list. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, No, that's, that's an incredible choice, Bill. Like, am I the only one that doesn't consider it horror or, or is, am I just in left field? It's on my horror list. Yeah. Is it? I haven't okay. seen it. Oh you, oh, you haven't seen it, Victor? Not yet. Not, but, oh. but now it's uh, number one on my list. It's, a, it's, a, it's really good. Um, and <laughs> number then, one with a bullet. And a lot yeah. of it is down to that performance, um, that central performance. She's so good in it. Yep. And it was on my, it was high on my list as well. Of, of I put in horror. I mean, I, I see what you're saying. You go both ways. And here's the deal is it, the strength of the film and where the film really uh, blossoms is in that the drama thriller element, right? In the tension that makes up the the centerpiece of the movie. Like this was originally a short film and essentially what it's done is just repeated the short film and then moved on from there and fleshed all that out. And so everything that happens in that middle section is essentially, you're right, Bill, it's a, it's a dramatic thriller or a, or a suspenseful drama and uh it it really is dependent upon that actress's performance uh but man it does go some places at the end yeah well it's it's kind of similar to the movie a couple years ago uh hunter hunter oh, yeah it, i, I like this it, one better actually but yeah, yeah. I, I like it, it i like it better, better too it's, it's yeah. a better acted whatever but it does have that one where you could legitimately argue one or the other but i think hunter hunter is definitely in the horror category or is this one kind of skirts the line on either side? God, it's so funny. I was just talking to Shannon Barnes about Hunter Hunter today. So, or you know, like you, you know, some people thought Parasite was a horror. Parasite. Nah, I mean, I'm not the gatekeepers. Uh, Nathan had Nope as a horror. I know Victor, you and I didn't. I mean, whatever. Put it wherever you want. But good movies are good movies. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of weirdo would put Parasite on their horror list, Greg? <laughs> I didn't say any name. Unapologetic. Any- <laughs> I know you want to keep horror alive, but some things are just ridiculous now. I um, let me tell you. He really, he, re- he really wanted that horror Oscar. If That's you were living in that situation, that damn straight would be horror. Okay. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> no doubt. Um. Okay, so my number one will surprise nobody. Um, it is everything, everywhere, all at once. I'm not the the one thing I want to mention because it's come up a couple times, but uh, the the performance of Michelle Yeoh, who have always loved, uh, you know, even back to the days of Super Cop and the Jackie Chan films and things like that, and then of course, Crouching Tiger. I mean, she she's a wonderful actress, and she brings everything that makes her great into this film but this was a movie that when i saw it i again it felt like oh you made this specifically for me it was that weirdo nathan movie and then it became i love the fact that it actually had legs it played all the way into the summer i mean a movie like this never does something like that granted you could chalk some up to being covid there's less movies in the theaters uh the fact that this is still going strong has a shot at it you know winning maybe a best picture 
But uh, it's down to so many things. I think there's a lot going on in this movie. It's totally fun. There's a lot under the surface. There are some great cerebral ideas, but they'd have been buried under so much genuine good feeling that sometimes you have to see it a couple times to quite get all that. And there's just something a mile, you know, there's there's moments where you feel like you're watching, uh, you know, Clearly, there's some literal Pixar references, but there's the heart and the tone of a Pixar movie next to the jokes you'd see in a South Park sketch, right? Next to weird, mind-bending science fiction. And all this wrapped up in one of the strongest like family dramas I've seen. And those performances, you know, all of them are great. And it was it, it, seeing Ki-Hu Kwan back, you know, and having not really seen him since he was a kid. And so strong in that that role as the father, but all of them. And then that character that's sort of set up to be the villain, uh, way that character's handled, like you were saying, Victor, it's such, so, so, t- so tied together, I think is what really cemented this movie for me is my favorite. Beyond all the crazy stuff, once you've seen this movie, and I've seen it like six times at this point, the the heart and the humanity and the and just the general, you know, inspiration i think of it actually makes you feel good about being alive it made me feel good about being alive um that's my number one yeah and one thing you didn't mention there nathan just to show the success of this thing is it's the highest grossing by i think a decent margin now a24 film of all time wow so it was a force for sure when it came out and one thing i do love nobody has talked about really i mean the fight scenes are wild what a fight scene in an office holy cow (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, like, <laughs> that's like 10 minutes there of bling 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 like yeah. i was just looking at the imdb page there are guys whose title is alpha jumper oh yeah <laughs> that was their character. And then, then a lady walks in with a dog <laughs> and, yeah. well here's the interesting thing to think about this film anyone seen it it gets very epic right it becomes uh epic because of these mul- uh, you know i won't get into it for people who haven't actually seen it but the the device that allows it to be epic you also think about it, it all happens across the course of an afternoon most of it in an office building and yeah. uh when you think about that that's pretty pretty impressive for a movie with that kind yeah. of scope and i love that there was a wong car y universe out there where everybody moves the way they do in a wong car y film <laughs> yeah it reminded me. What was that one that had Stephen Yoon in the office? Um, oh, oh, mayhem. Yeah, mayhem. Yeah, that's the only other thing I could kind of compare it to. Yeah, just in terms of location, not in terms of tonality or anything. Just you know, right. <laughs> but yeah, also yeah, Bill. I think when you were talking about um, the movie, you mentioned James Hong, and I think the first time I ever saw him on film was as a very a young man. I mean, an adult already, but. Uh, he was a scientist in this movie called Colossus, the Forbin. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. um, It's, he doesn't have too many lines, but I was just like, Oh, as soon as he speaks, it's like, it's Hong, you know, (laughs) you know exactly um, who he is. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to say for, for mostly have mostly having been seen in bit parts until, you know, big trouble, little China where he rules the school. Um, I mean, he is memorable. He's memorable in absolutely everything. So, yeah, he's great. I make eyes. I only make eyes. <laughs> yeah. yeah I got it. <laughs> you know what's funny is I'm looking at his uh, IMDb. Do you know how many acting credits he has? Probably like 400. Oh, can't 451. <laughs> with four upcoming. Oh, he works. 
He just got a star. He just got a star too. He's got a voice in Kung Fu Panda on, on, Four. Uh, Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, the yeah. Noodle Dream. Right. He's the he's the father. Yeah. So I mean, the guy's still <laughs> he's he's in a a short movie called Rock In where he plays a character called Salty. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he's he's phenomenal. He's been in some stuff. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't he in Balls of Fury? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and an episode of the X-Files right. and Seinfeld, you know, on and on and yes. on. Yeah, he was in Wayne's World too. But he when he yes. shows up, he shows up to work, <laughs> man. And Absolutely. Uh, I love that they gave him I was when I first saw him, I thought he's gonna be the guy in the background and they, they gave him stuff to do. He yeah, was in uh, Can- the Keanu Reeves version of The Day the Earth Stood Still. Yeah. I, I remember that. Oh, I forgot scene. he was in that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you know, everybody, that's the cool thing about this movie. Everybody who shows up, you think of, you know, that person's going to walk through the screen and that's it. Everyone, everyone has something to do. <laughs> so, yes. well, that's, that's it guys. And we got through in great time. Um, let's just shoot through and give, uh, let's just kind of mention titles, but anything you want to mention in terms of honorable mentions, Greg, that didn't quite make the list. Greg, how about you? I mean, I got a few, but most of them have been mentioned already. The Whitney Houston story, Elvis, uh, would throw in Watcher. I love that movie, and I consider mm-hmm. it more of a uh, non-horror. Uh, Triangle of Sadness, I thought was unique and <laughs> yeah. different. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. a scene in there that'll leave you not wanting to eat for a while. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of, a lot of fluids. A lot of fluids in there. Oh, yeah. Hell, dude. Uh, but yeah, I'll just throw a few of those out. Okay. Pearl, how about you? I actually have none that I can think of right now. <laughs> <laughs> she saw 10 movies that so, were not hers, and they out. all made her list. Victor, what hit your floor? Oh, yeah. No, everything, um, all my honorable mentions were heavily featured uh, by you guys. So, yeah, The Batman, Glass Onion, 3,000 Years of Longing. All great. I would have been very happy if they had been on my top 10 list. Uh, it's just that I just personally preferred these these other movies this year. Cool. Trey, Trey what, did, what, what, what didn't quite make your list? Yeah, I'll um, skip the ones we've talked about and just hit five or six of these real quick that I haven't been talked about that I thought were great. Uh, first of all, a big surprise was um, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, which I typically don't like that kind of DreamWorks film, but I think the animation is pretty impeccable here, especially in some of the action sequences. And I think it's a really, really solid story at its core. So I like that one. Um, Vengeance, which I thought was a pretty good comedy with BJ Novak. Um, That was a fun one. Hustle with Adam Sandler, which was like a basketball type movie with Sandler giving a pretty good performance there as well. Oh, yeah, that was Uh, good. Yeah. Emergency Declaration, which is a Korean film about like a plane, a disaster kind of virus that happens on a plane. And how they handle that. That was a pretty good um, action thriller. And Vesper, I think, is the last one I'll mention. And that is just this kind of quiet sci-fi film that has some pretty great visuals in it. And a you know simple enough story, but one that uh, moves along and gets you where you need to be. And I thought that was a pretty good film. Alrighty. Here, I'll give you a few of mine. Again, I'll skip over the ones that had been mentioned when I was said no ties, I was very close to putting a tie for number 10. Oh, and no. I, <laughs> but, but, but I had to year, stick, next year. We'll get him. 
No, but I, I had to stick to my guns. It's a top 10 list. There's 10 movies. But the one that I loved just because of its craziness, a, a character, an actor stepping outside of his role was the weird, the Al Yankovic story. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was, was a good one. movie. It was a really good one. I really like, because I mean, it's, Loved you it. think it's a bio, there is no biopic in this at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought it was I, the first two, Bill, but. I thought for a second, but I loved the way that uh, Rain Wilson as Dr. Demento. Oh, yeah. He is, yeah. He is, he is phenomenal. <laughs> well, that, that part, role. there was an actual Dr. Demento, but that's about oh, where it oh, stops. <laughs> oh, sure there was. And there's that whole scene of the uh, party at the pool house. And you're just picking off, okay, this is this person, this is this, you know, this Salvador Dali shows that up. You know, you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, you want to be part of the Queen Live Aid? Ah, oh, no, no, it's okay, you know. Like, really. Oh, man. Um, I, like, I really liked one that we uh, talked about on PG not that long, uh, well, during the summer. And it was the Norm MacDonald Nothing Special yeah. on Netflix, oh, yeah. where he did his whole, his last stand-up gig in his basement because the show got canceled because of COVID and then he obviously didn't get the chance to do it. I thought that was really good. Uh, there was a documentary on Netflix. Like I love my documentaries and I'll sit and watch it. There was one called the anthrax attacks in the shadow of nine 11 talked about the whole time back in, was it 2006, 2000, whenever it was when the, when the anthrax was spreading through the mail. And and yeah. then the the mail the mail hub people were getting infected with it who worked at the post office. Really good documentary there. Um, what is that? Uh, oh, the one that we did, Nathan. Uh, emergency. Yeah. Where the where the where the kids took uh, the the girl that shows up at their house. Yes, that and was a so, good movie. Yeah. And 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 there's a whole social aspect to it. Uh, look it up, ladies and gentlemen, emergency. And the last one I just put in just for kicks and giggles was Jackass Forever. Oh, I forgot that I came a, out this year. Yeah, I had a decent time. You know, it's it's not exactly brain surgery. And Johnny Knoxville only really is a host so because his body's so fragile. That oh, no, man. That, that, I don't, I, I'm going to contend against that, Bill, because he lets himself get hit by a bull in that movie. Oh, oh no, no. <laughs> No, I, and I was going to say, and the one time he lets himself, oh, God. he ends up in the hospital. <laughs> oh. I mean, at that point, you're thinking, oh, a, a beehive under testicles is nothing. This guy just got hit by a bull. <laughs> yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. Um, Raul, there's some bee dong in this film. Mm. Raul, <laughs> it's not, it's not done. It's not done in a sexy way. There is not. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> nothing <laughs> in this film is done in a sexy way. I mean, including water tank. Let's see if we can't light your fart underwater i've never seen anything like that and i'll be happy if i never do again but uh what what a good movie for what it was <laughs> there's lots of penis and testicles but it's all done and you're like Ugh. that's why i became a critic so i could say things like there's lots of penis and testicles in this movie <laughs> okay to be clear is there a time when you see the penis and testicles and you're like oh yeah <laughs> usually it's either or so <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't get the you don't get the meat and the potatoes at the same time. But the Franks and the beans are aggressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's too much. Too much. Um the Frank and the beans, yeah. So Frank and the beans. Yeah, let's just move beyond that. Um and in fact, let's start with so my honorable mentions. One movie that I loved and just kind of fell short of the list was Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes, a film that again I think ultimately came out 
last year or the year before, but uh, was released in 2022. Anyone who hasn't seen this, this movie's great. It's again a great example of what you can do with low budget science fiction. It involves a, a a guy who's working in a cafe. It's a Japanese film, and suddenly uh, he goes up. He sees a video, and he's talking to himself from two minutes in the future. And then everything that happens in the film, which is staged as if it's kind of one take, is about that disparity between two minutes and the difference that it can make. And uh, it becomes a wild ride. And this is like the uh, fun, kind of playful version of a movie like Primer. Uh, and it's not nearly as impenetrable to get into. So Beyond the Infinite yeah, Two Minutes. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a wild ride. but Yeah, uh, Good Night Oppie is a great documentary about the... Um, opportunity rover that was put up on mars and they expected it was going to shut down and they these little rovers didn't shut down and over time the technicians and scientists working with them start to sort of anthropomorphize them and have you know treat them as if they're children and uh fantastic movie you can find it i i, I can't remember if it's on prime or or Disney Plus, maybe on Netflix, I got to look, but it's a it's out there to see. It's wonderful. A lot of the same movies you guys mentioned, Triangle of Sadness was wonderful, Top Gun, Maverick, RRR, and uh, uh, one that missed my horror list, mostly because I forgot to mention it, was The Innocence. Boo. <laughs> yeah, I know. Wonderful movie. <laughs> Fantastic. Great documentary, Fire of Love, involving two volcanologists who ultimately perish in a volcano, but it follows their relationship and from the perspective of archive footage that they had. And uh, that's, that's an amazing film. Animated stuff was off the chain. The last wish, which I saw because Trey mentioned it and it is fantastic. The house on Netflix is a must see. Uh, what a surreal, weird movie. The sea beast is an excellent movie. Also on Netflix. Mm -hmm. So yep. is my father's dragon based off of a children's book. I remember reading growing up and it's done by cartoon saloon that did movies like wolf walkers and secret of uh, Kells. Great, great stuff. Um, just an awesome year. Uh, Moon Age Daydream was mentioned. That is amazing. There's a documentary that came out in 2022, and I saw it through a screener, but will be, I think, showing up on HBO this year. It is called All That Breathes. It deals with, with guys that are rescuing birds that are falling out of the sky in Delhi because of the air quality, and they are restoring these birds. That is is an amazing movie and I'm looking forward to everyone else being able to see it this year. So that's me. That's the show. Uh, anything else you guys wanted to mention? Oh, well, you know, you mentioned triangle of sadness and I, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure about this, but I'm pretty sure it's the same director that did force majeure. It a few totally is. Ago. Yep. It is. Yeah. And yeah. I, 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 anyone who liked that movie like me, um, you probably like triangle of sadness. Yeah. He, I think he did the square too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Oh yeah, which was not in my mind thing, as successful, but interesting. The only thing I wanted to mention there was a couple that I didn't get to that I wondered if anybody else had seen. Uh, one was a, a a crime drama thriller called The Stranger with Joel Edgerton and Sean Harris. No, uh, no, IMDb it's on my list. A, yeah, I just didn't get. It's got Joel Edgerton and Sean yeah. Harris in it. Uh, it's a crime action thriller. Uh, I hadn't gotten to it. And there's one I just kind of uh, saw on the bottom, and it's an Icelandic film called Summer Light and Then Comes the Night that has an IMDb rating of 8.4. Whoa. Huh. A comedy drama. And here's what, the, what they say about it. The village is brimming with stories, and if you listen carefully, it might tell you some. 
of the manager who dreams in Latin and leaves his career for astronomy and his old books, of a translucent boy who carves moorland birds, of an open-air affair and a rock that is chiseled to dust. Based on the eponymous book by celebrated Icelandic author John Coleman Stephenson. I'm in. I'll see it. <laughs> I'll throw i got to find this. I should mention this, too, since it's probably the biggest movie out there right now. I actually had a great time watching Avatar, The Way of Water, which is a movie that probably needs to be seen in the theater, Salton Theater, in uh, IMAX with 3D. And it's such an immersive experience. It's not just the images, but it's how they're portrayed, that you're there in the moment. Storytelling, I still have issues with it, as I did in the first Avatar. But I'm telling you that you know Cameron is to kind of tapping into this is – this is why cinema exists, and uh, he does a pretty impressive job. I grudgingly admit that like I was totally into Pachik. The plot is almost like that episode of the Flintstones where they visit the relatives that live at the beach, but otherwise, <laughs> the, the, in the moment, you're not even thinking about that. So pretty impressive. Was he in the theater to personally flip you off as you were watching? Yeah. <laughs> you suck. <laughs> Go watch my movie. <laughs> Three times. <laughs> okay, so... That's, I think we covered what about 40, 50 movies, something in that nature. Probably, yeah. I had, you know, definitely more than yeah, between, 10 each. But uh, anyway, between, between, <laughs> between top 10 and uh, honorable mentions, I think we had a pretty good swath of what was available this year. Yeah. And uh, feel free. Uh, we'll put something on Facebook. You can leave your recommendations for movies you saw and look uh, really looking forward to 2023. Uh, Bill, we should do an episode where you and I just kind of pick what we want, what we're uh, anxious to see in 2023, but that's going to wrap this up. Uh, let's go around the horn here. Let everybody let uh, do any of their mentions uh, for where you can find them. And uh, we'll, we'll close this out. Greg, how about you? Well, I appreciate the invite tonight. It's been great being in a top 10 episode with you guys. Uh, for me, you can always follow me over at land of the creeps horror movie podcast. It's land of the creeps. As well, Jay of the Dead's new horror movie podcast over there as well. Uh, you can also follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd and YouTube and, yeah, all that good stuff. Uh, but other than that, man, just help keep horror alive. That's what I do. And this ain't even horror tonight, but it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. And uh, once again, rest in, pre uh, rest in peace, Lisa Marie Presley, and uh, to all the family, friends, and all that. So, love her. Uh, so, with that said, man, thank you, Nathan and course it's always great talking with all you guys victor trey uh bill of course cohort there <laughs> well and the thing is greg uh, horror keep horror alive so many movies were on that edge that we might yeah, as well have talked about horror right? well it was it, it was definitely one of those years northman could have made it in some horror uh yeah. so yeah absolutely very cool pearl anything else well everyone can find me wherever this one's at <laughs> this one, where this one is, I'm, I'm, I'm this one now. I'm not even. Yeah, a apparently, <laughs> as he stated, I'm attached to his hip. So yeah, anywhere he's walking or he's sitting or wherever he's at, I'm there. <laughs> well, thank you for having me on as well. Yeah, it's been awesome. Not Thanks, a problem. Nice. The door's always open to you. Too. Oh, all right, uh, Victor. How about you? Oh yeah, thanks very much for having me back, you guys. Fantastic. Always love talking movies with you guys and thanks to you guys. I have a list of like 20 movies that I am <laughs> oh, looking wow. forward to watching. Um and uh these are just last year's movies. Um so right. yeah, very cool. Yeah, anybody uh, want to talk more about movies with me? Just um 
find me at uh, Dime Store Caesar on Twitter, or Instagram, and um, it'll be three dollars yeah, for the I'm first a- minute and ninety nine cents for each additional <laughs> minute. <laughs> Yeah, I always welcome other cinephiles uh, happy to talk about opinions and, and stuff, no matter how you feel about something. If you think I'm wrong or if you think um, the the worst movie of the year was Tar, <laughs> just let me know. I want to know why you think that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, I'm a talent manager. I represent screenwriters and composers. And um, as a matter of fact, my composer client... Uh, or one of my composer clients, I should say, um, just had a series drop on Netflix. It's called Dragon Age Absolution. It's a, a animated sword and sorcery adventure based on the video game franchise. Pretty good. And she scored mm-hmm. the whole thing. It sounds fantastic. Um, and uh, I also write fiction. Yeah, I wrote a book called The Sound of Fear. Uh, if you just go on Amazon and look up my name, Victor H. Rodriguez, it'll come up. And if you don't want the book, but you just want to hear the stories, you can always check out my podcast miniseries Inside the Sound of Fear, where I narrate them. But more importantly, um, if you're in the the Pacific Northwest, if you're in the especially if you're in the Seattle area, I will be appearing reading some brand new fiction at Noir at the Bar on February 2nd. If you buy him a beer, he'll give you an autograph. <laughs> and then yes. two hours later he'll be reading the after dark stuff in the alley outside <laughs> it's more expensive yeah more expensive. again 3.99 for the first minute <laughs> two years yeah. uh, uh trey go ahead and tell us uh where we where yeah we i was gonna you. say uh yeah first of all victor that dragon age series i think i heard you mention it is that um do you know if that's like a standalone thing or if that ties into any of the the games at all it, uh, no, it doesn't really tie into the games. Um, it's kind of standalone I, thing. Yes, it's set in the universe of the games. Uh, right. But uh, so they try to like through the backstory of the characters, they try to teach you about the game universe. But it's a brand new. It's written by Margaret Scott. She's a, a pretty big uh, comics writer. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, it's her. It's her thing. It just it's her characters and and so cool. on. But uh, yeah, I have to check that out because I'm. Very interested in that universe and playing through the games and stuff. So thank you. I appreciate you indulging me there, Victor. Um, So you can find me. I have a biweekly horror movie history podcast called Screaming Through the Ages. You can find that wherever you get your podcast. And yeah, I don't know if Nathan's going to, you know, pull some of his tricky editing skills and get this thing out soon. But probably by the time you're hearing this, I will have my um best of 2022 horror episode out um on monday the 16th is when that's dropping so i appreciate it if you would check that out and uh, i think that's about all i have i'm also over on phantom video um with nathan and dave becker so check that out as well yeah and um as as for us bill is there anything you want to mention um yeah i've got a few different projects that i've recorded and in due time they will come out and uh yeah uh, see me and listen to me with the greg and dave over at land of the creeps and pearl has her wonderful insight there and uh, everybody stay safe have fun let's have a good year 2023 uh yes again phantom galaxy you can find us or at all the uh places that you get your podcasts and uh you can check us out on facebook we have a facebook group a pretty healthy group over there people are posting a lot having a lot of great discussions and again 
we have a lot of fun stuff coming up for 2023. Some of that fun stuff is stuff that was recorded in 2022, but it's all great. Um, and we, the one of the things that will be coming directly after this episode is the the long-awaited fifth season discussion about the X-Files or discussion of the X-Files season five. And uh, Victor is along for that, along with uh, Karen Wagner and Dave Roy and Shannon Barnes joining us for the first time. Tommy wasn't able to join Tommy Wood. So Shannon Barnes joins us and uh, that's, that's uh, a lot of fun. And we'll be following that up in the new year with the, with, with as many of the seasons as we can get in. So uh, lots of fun stuff on the horizon and this has been the Phantom Galaxy, signing out. Take care, everyone. If you've been enjoying the music here on Phantom Galaxy, the opening theme and the closing theme are both brought to you by synth-pop artist Aries Beats. He's done a lot of really cool stuff in the world of synth-pop, a lot of very interesting genre-based retro themes. You can find more of his work over at ariesbeats.bandcamp.com. And until next time, we are the Phantom Galaxy. Thank you.